Base Sports Performance is an athlete and personal training facility located in Hernando, Mississippi that specializes in athletic development through strength and conditioning, speed and agility, and movement-based training. They offer individualized programs for adults as well as professional, collegiate, high school, and youth athletes. Some of their program options include athlete performance training, small group personal training, return from injury programs, throwing and pitching development for baseball players. The best place to check them out is on Instagram, at base underscore sports underscore performance. Website is basesportsperformance.com. Their email address is base period sports performance at gmail.com and phone number is 662-292-7761. I'm personally using them for a return from injury program and we have had many in off the bench guests who have used them for their pitching development. So check them out today. Yo, what's up, everybody? It's time for the In Off the Bench podcast. I am Daniel Ball, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-hosts, my partners in crime, my brothers from Other Mothers, Jim Cross, Randy Jowers, and tonight, boys, it's episode 17 titled Afraid of Nothing, because tonight we got Arkansas Razorback baseball stars Brady Tiger and Chris Lanzelli joining us. But before Brady and Chris joins us, Jim, my man, it's a big weekend, a lot going on. Talk to me a little bit about it. Yeah, man, it's been constant college baseball. You know how it is. The SEC is in the dumping. Auburn, Tennessee was good. Arkansas, Ole Miss, we'll get into this good. Um, LSU, Georgia, it's just been nonstop action, Dan. You can't ask for better. Yeah, man, it's uh, the the close is near, and you know regionals are on the horizon. Conference tournaments, super regionals, Omaha. You know we're we're right here in the thick of it, and you know what better way than to celebrate all that than with one of the best teams in the country? So let's uh, get to it, man. Help me welcome on to the show with the biggest interview and podcasting this week: University of Arkansas baseball stars Brady Tiger and Chris Lanzilli. Fellas, welcome to the show. Chris, my man, how are we doing tonight? What's up? What's up? Happy to be here. Brady, we doing good? Doing outstanding. Glad to be back on. Man, yeah. And so we got to talk about it because last time you were on the show, you came on on a Monday night and then you went out on Tuesday night and you threw an eight inning no hitter with 14 Ks against Tupelo. Let's take a step back, man. I know we're talking about Arkansas baseball, but let's talk about that performance, man. How good did that feel? Uh, going out there originally, I did, I did not feel all that great. I remember, I think it was in the second inning, I walked the bases loaded, and then that kind of snapped me out of it. I was like, all right, like, we got to go right now. And then I struck out the side, kind of set the tone for the rest of the game. Yeah, if you could have stayed out of I, if by my count, I remember, even though you had the, the 14 Ks, a lot of those you had a full count when you did it. You, you got into a lot of full counts. You walked a few batters. Um, I, I, you actually only walked two batters. The full ca- the uh, bases loaded. You hit a you hit a guy, and that's how I remember. It. That's how you got in the bases loaded gym. I kind of remember it just like yesterday, even though it feels like it's been five years now. But yeah, man, that was an epic performance. And then for your boy Hunter Elliott on the other side, I mean, y'all put on the best high school game I think anyone's going to see in the state of Mississippi. I don't know that y'all will be outdone the way y'all two pitched against each other. 
Yeah, that was that was electric. I would honestly like to be a fan watching that game. Absolutely. Uh, we had uh, Daniel's teammate from from high school. Um, he was there with me, and he said, "Man, I never saw anything like this when me and Daniel played." And I mean, that was just that was just something. But you know, let's talk about now. You know, I, I was joking with you before the episode. You look like you went from seventeen to twenty five overnight. You know, you're getting sleeved up with tattoos, growing the hair out. I mean, what are they doing over there at Arkansas? Man, honestly, just teaching you how to play your own game. You know, be comfortable with who you are and don't have any fear. So that's what I'm doing right now. So that man said, I'm not going to get a haircut and I'm going to get tatted up. Well, there's a story behind the haircut. Now, I ain't nobody ever cut my hair except for my mama. Uh, and I ain't going to let nobody cut my hair except for my mama. So every they come up here and she'll give me a trim when it starts looking bad. She tells me when it starts looking bad. So, man, hey, hair flow <laughs> coming through the back of the hat is the thing now. So do what you do. But, uh, you know, that, I got that's pretty that's pretty cute, Brady. <laughs> I can't I can't wait till Tennessee gets a hold of that kind of knowledge. Oh, oh, hey, too early in the episode for that, Daniel. But, uh, you I'm know, just saying. But, uh, you know, I tell you, you've became a social media sensation, Brady. You know, I don't get to see all your games, but I feel like I do because your clips are going viral now. I mean whether it's you serious and uh, having a serious look on your face, talking to yourself, you know, all these different things. But I got to ask you, man, there's one where I don't know what you're saying. I don't know what you're mumbling, but because you're my boy, we go to church together. I said, my man's out there singing worship music, but I got to know, man, what's the, what's that conversation taking place? I'm be real with you. That's, I'm just saying stuff to myself at that point. Every time I go in there, you know, uh, I get kind of kind of agitated just looking at the guy in the box. So I can't really say what I said because I really don't remember. <laughs> Stuff just comes out. You you can't say what you said because you don't remember or because it's probably not good for this show. <laughs> no comment. So Chris, man, I you know the the listeners can't tell, but you you got a nice little fade going on. You got any suggestions for Brady other than his mom to to get his hair cut? Yeah, got to be something around Fayetteville, right? Yeah, no, there's plenty of places. I mean, I go to Signature Fades uh, on Dixon Street. So, uh, Brady, if you want to hit that up, you know, I'm probably going next week. Nice. Y'all can go together, <laughs> man. It'll be two-for-one deal. Come on, yeah, man. literally. <laughs> but, All right, so, so Chris, let's let's go back to the beginning, man. Let's let's get some, some info from you. Let's know a little bit about you and kind of your journey and your story. So, where are you from and, and where did you grow up? Yeah, I'm from Stoneham, Massachusetts, um, just eight miles out of Boston, just north of Boston. Um, grew up playing hockey, baseball, football. Uh, obviously fell in love with baseball over the other ones. Uh, ended up going to Wake Forest University out of high school. Um, I committed, so I got Tommy John surgery my sophomore year of high school. I was really young. I'm old now. I was really young back then when I got Tommy John. And, uh, so let's, let's go there then. I mean, you, you talk about getting Tommy John. Obviously, that's not something that just jumps out at you. That's kind of a, a injury that happens over time. But when did you first start playing any kind of sports? And was it just baseball? Like what age? Obviously, you talked about, you know, hockey and, and all these things that, that Northeasterners do. But were yeah. those sports that you played or was it just strictly baseball? 
No, I mean, I, I was, I mean, I was just as serious about hockey up until, you know, early high school, maybe the end of middle school, um, started playing sports, you know, when I was really young as, as we all do, I don't, I don't really remember the exact age, but yeah, I was really serious about hockey and baseball. I kind of had to decide between the two, um, when I was, you know, I graduated middle school and just obviously decided baseball ended up getting Tommy John surgery. It was, you know, at the, at the time I was like, Oh my God, I, uh, my baseball career is in jeopardy. I, I didn't really realize that you could come back from Tommy John surgery. Daniel, uh, I'm still backtracking because he said he's old now. And if he's old, what does that make us? Ah, uh, shit. Super old. <laughs> <laughs> so well, old guy for college, at least I'll, I'll put it at that. Hey, you, you know, you, you spent, you spent some time, you know, prior to where you're at now, you know, out of school. So I, I, I can see, see how you feel that way, but. Um, obviously high school was when you had to make a determining factor, you wanted to stick to baseball, but, you know, leading up to that was, were there any influences or any pressure to go one way or the other was mom, dad, brother, sisters, other coaches, other mentors, were they pushing you in one direction or the other? Or was this solely your decision? No, this was, this was my decision. Uh, honestly, like my, I remember in eighth grade, my hockey coaches came over, uh, when I was making the decision, they came over to my house and they were like, uh, can you just not can you just play one more year or can you just continue playing? And I was like, no, I've, I've kind of made up my decision. And uh, so it was solely my decision. My parents didn't push me one way or the other. They kind of would have supported me either way. Um, and yeah, so I, I, I chose that. And that's, that's kind of how I got here today. But um, not really much else to it. I know you're looking for an interesting story, but that's, that's kind of it. No, I mean, obviously the, the interest comes later. You, you rated as the number 356 prospect in the nation. I mean, that, that's a high number. But when you think about all the prospects in the country, in the world now, um, you know, that's a relatively low number when you, when you really put it in perspective. But 356 by perfect game, 19th rated third baseman, number five prospect from the state of Massachusetts. And like with those accolades, at what point do you start getting interest from college and was Wake Forest the only school or were there multiple schools? Yeah. Um, so yeah, my freshman year, I started getting, you know, calls from more local schools, BC, uh, UMass Law, all these kind of smaller schools. Um, but after that, so my sophomore year is when I got the Tommy John surgery. So that's, I committed literally two days before I got it. Um, I knew I wasn't going to be able to play for a full year, so I wasn't going to get any more offers. I probably had, you know, 10 or 15 schools that I was talking to, but it was such a long time ago that I, I can't even remember. There was, there was a few ACC, SEC schools. Um, nobody really in the Big 12, but, but uh, yeah, just, just a few ACC, SEC. And like for, I, I ended up touring Wake Forest, ended up liking it, and I was in my sling from – surgery two days prior to it and yeah ended up committing right in the locker room I was like I don't need to see any other schools I, I uh, they had just built these new beautiful facilities uh the coach was you know the man he was a genuine dude and I kind of couldn't couldn't turn it down because I mean moving forward I'm going to be in a sling for a full year and I, I I was just at the place where I knew I wanted to be and uh 
So I, so I ended up playing there for four years and, and uh, had a pretty good career over there and then made my way over here. Oh, three and a half years I played. It's the COVID year. So did they know that you were having Tommy John or was that something that you knew when you kind of signed and then you said, surprise? No, I, I went down in my sling. They, they knew it and they still offered okay. me. Gotcha. And, you know, that, that's got to say a lot when they invest that kind of commitment to you knowing that you're, you're not going to be able to play for, for a little bit. So obviously that speaks to their character, but it also speaks to your character because they're committed to you, but you're also, you know, they believe that you have the work ethic to drive and, and be committed to the injury process and come back, you know, a hundred percent, if not better. Um, but you, you did mention a long career, you know, at Wake, but I want to highlight some of, you know, your, your sophomore season, you earned all American honors, uh, historic season. You hit 347, 19 doubles, 16 homers, 67 RBIs, you know, 57 games in left field. You broke the program with 10 RBIs in a game against BC. I mean, you, you, you're doing all these different things. Like when you hear somebody point those things out to you, what does that mean to you? And, and, and does it, you know, given where you're at now in your career, does, do those things still matter to you? Or that's kind of, you know, history it's in the past. It was great while it happened, but now I'm, I'm kind of focused on what what's happening now. Yeah. I mean, of course it matters. I mean, I, I worked so hard and I, I, I did those things. And I'm proud of those things. Um, but at the same time, it's like, can I repeat that? You know, it's, I need to, you know, be able to stick to the consistency that, that I was hoping to have after that year. And, uh, you know, baseball in my life has been so, so up and down. Like, I, I mean, I've gone through so much in my life and, and baseball has always been kind of there for it's kind of the thing that's been there for me consistently. So I, uh, I I'm really Definitely proud of those things, but I, I mean, I, I'm always looking to turn to the game and to to improve those, and and, and as I said, stay consistent with that. Um, you know, when we when we talk about consistency, I, I hear you you say that word a lot, but I mean, when I look at the overall uh, gamut of, of performance at Wake Forest, man, I I just want you to because I don't know if anybody's ever done this. Maybe they have, but I think it's important for you to reflect on. on what I'm about to say, 170 games, 166 starts. That's a guy who came off injury who's only missed starting four games his entire career there. That's, that's unbelievable. You hit 298, 195 hits, 147 RBIs, 42 dingers, 46 doubles, 76 walks. I mean, the – the list of accolades goes on, man. Like you had such a successful career at Wake Forest. So how does it go from that to now I'm going to Arkansas? I didn't get any offers to play pro ball. So, I mean, I, I uh, put my name in the transfer portal and I ended up, I said, like, if Mississippi state or Arkansas hits me up, I'm, I'm going there. Arkansas was the first one. And it was the, I wanted to play for Dave Van Horn. He, the guy's a legend. So I said, if they were definitely my number one, but I mean, in the country, no matter what, I was committed to Arkansas. 
off the bat if that happened. Normally, I'd tell you you made the wrong choice, but looking how Mississippi State season's going, uh, good choice. <laughs> Literally, yeah. Imagine that. Um, no, I just I, I wanted to play in like a cool atmosphere. That's that's something that I, I, we we didn't we were we had a lot of talent at Wake. We had a lot of good players. We just it wasn't the fan support that I mean, who does have the fan support that Arkansas has or, or Mississippi State has? And I, I wanted to experience that and. Uh, I wasn't going to get that anywhere else. So that's just something that that's pretty cool. But I didn't any free agent offers or anything. So I, I, I needed to go to school if I wanted to keep playing baseball. Daniel, it sounds just like RJ Yeager, doesn't it? I mean, coming from yeah, wanted to go to a big time program, winning program, fan sport, all that. Hey, Chris, I got to ask you something real quick. What's the is it like a culture shock, though, coming obviously from Massachusetts, then to Wake and then to Arkansas? Is there like a culture shock, big difference? Obviously, there's a big difference, but talk about that for you. Yeah, I mean, going down the wake, so it's in North Carolina, that's pretty like, I mean, it's, to, to the, it's not the South to you guys, but it's the South to me. So, it, Oh, for sure it is to you. Yeah, but that was definitely uh, a little bit different. But uh, I had a few friends from Massachusetts that uh, went to wake with me. So it was kind of like I, I – didn't, I was I wasn't the only one going through it, so we kind of just went through it together, and uh, it wasn't too bad. But coming to Arkansas, nobody in my family hasn't even thought about coming to Arkansas, so <laughs> it's like I'm the first I'm the first one, and I didn't know what I was going to expect. And uh, when you talk in Fayetteville, Arkansas, everybody turns and looks, right? Yeah, I mean, I, my dad and my uncle come down, and and uh, they have way worse accents than me. Like I, I I don't even people up north don't think I have an accent. Well, you're a southerner now. Yeah, yeah I'm a southerner. Yeah. But uh, they speak a different way. Like my dad and my uncle coming down this past weekend, they, they speak a different language than the people down here. And, and they were uh, they were giving it to them. <laughs> I make fun of accent every day if that helps. Yeah. <laughs> so now, Chris, do you think that, you know, not playing at Arkansas or SEC? I mean, obviously, Wake Forest is no slouch, right? Um, but do you think that had you been at Arkansas and had the numbers that you had, do you think that you would have been drafted? I have no idea. And I don't like to think back on things like that. I don't like to regret anything. So I'm just kind of living in the present and, you know, dealing with what I can, what, what I can control right now. Cause I, I mean, there were so many, I, I was so disappointed in not being, I mean, I was drafted my sophomore year. I was sophomore eligible. I, you know, could have uh, obviously went went earlier than I did, but I, I turned down some money and and uh, ended up being one of the going in one of the last rounds. So I, I, it wasn't even like an actual draft pick. It was just kind of like a courtesy thing. Looking back, then just just makes me upset, and it's kind of not a healthy thing to do. So I, as I said, I just I just try to control what I can control in the future and in and in the present. So, uh, yeah, I don't really look back too much. Well, I mean, if it makes you feel any better, Jim, Randy, or myself never never got a, a cur- courtesy pick. So <laughs> we, the, the only courtesy we pick we, we might get is in, in pickup basketball or something. Hey, that's <laughs> if we're like the last ones left. Yeah, it's a, that's a sympathy pick in my, my opinion. So yeah. man, don't, don't – you know, make sure you credit yourself, man. That's hard work, and not everybody can say anything like that. So, um, man, I, my my hats off to you, dude. Being able to 
you know, go for mass, go down to North Carolina at Wake, do your thing, be committed to the process and still, you know, know that you, you got some work to do and then you, you put it all out there again, you go to Arkansas and then you guys are, are here and, you know, we're going to get into that in a little bit, but I want to switch gears and, and talk a little bit to you, Brady. And the, the last time, you know, we talked, um, it was prior to Arkansas and there was a lot of, um, excitement there's a lot of you know maybe not fear but maybe there's a lot of unknown of what what's to happen or what what you're going to be getting into um you know we talked a lot about your velo fastball anybody who watches you that was you know the top of of conversation upper 90s fastball um but for you what do you think has been working like what arsenal pitches is it the fastball is it the velo or is it something totally different that you know, now that you're at Arkansas with your coaches there that you're, you're really digging into? Honestly, it's something different from what I thought in high school. I thought high school, I was going to have to be coming up here, blowing people away with 100 mile an hour, have the best breaking ball ever and change up. But honestly, just from my experience so far, as long as you mix your pitches in the strike zone, they hit, hit themselves out. I think that's the big thing that I've really had. Three pitches plus, uh, if you're throwing all those for strikes consistently and just constantly mixing, it makes it a whole lot easier on you. You're working towards the best breaking ball ever, just to be clear. <laughs> yeah, I credit to Coach Hobbs on that one. He helped out a lot. Did you, did you ever think that coming into the season that the role that you would have would be closer? Not in this. Uh, I came up here. I had a, a really, really bad fall. My first and only outing of the fall, I threw like 20 pitches, I think like six strikes, uh, didn't get a single out, uh, and I fractured my elbow. I had a, I got a hairline fracture in my elbow during that outing, and then I was I was canned. I was done. I got put in a sling, had to get a PRP shot in my arm to help it heal. Didn't have another outing all fall. So at that point, I was like, Good Lord, please don't let them, you know, like, cut me. That's honestly what was going through. I was like, that or maybe I can take a red shirt and try again next year. Uh, then I came back this spring just honestly hoping to get any innings. Like, I was going to be perfectly happy just being a midweek guy throwing, throwing in those games. And uh, I didn't get playing time, like, at the start of the year. And we would do live at-bats in the indoor and the Fowler. And out of nowhere, I just started throwing really, really good in those. Uh, Coach Hobbs worked with me on cleaning up my mechanics a little bit, stuff like that. And I think that kind of took me to the next level because he was like, Coach Hobbs said, you look, you threw like somebody who really, really wants to pitch. I was like, yeah, I absolutely do. So the first option opportunity I got was against Omaha in our midweek game. Don't remember much of that. Pretty much blacked out. Uh, kind of a shock to my system going out there in front of all those fans uh, on the big stage and uh, kind of proved that I wasn't scared of it. I wanted to be on the mound at Bomb Stadium. And ever since then, just kept going out and uh, doing what I can, having good outings. And now I'm the closer for Arkansas. So it's absolutely not at all where I thought I would be, but uh, God is playing over mine. So I'm excited for where I am. So when you're in a sling in the fall, what are 
what was the message that the coaches were telling you? Were they, oh, let's wait and see, or were they supportive, or were they kind of cold? What what was what were you getting from them as far as feedback? Oh no, all the coaches were still very very supportive. Um, they made sure that I never lost confidence in myself, and I think that helped me out a lot. Um, yeah, they were they were very supportive of me and kept talking about the future that I'm going to be a dude here in this pitching rotation this year. And I just got to get healthy. So I think that that really helped me out a lot. So you you take all that. You obviously you get, you know, the opportunity in the spring to show what you got. You go out, like you said, against Omaha. You do your thing. You know, obviously you, you're you're moving to the closer role, but like, what is the mentality now that you're the closer? Is it any different than what it would be if you were a, a starter or a relief guy? Like, what is, what is your mentality when you go out there and go, all right, like, you know, this, this past weekend, the, the game winning and losing rests on your shoulders. What is like, what is that mentality? And what does that feel like? Is that something you embrace or is that something that's like, this is, this scares the shit out of me. Uh, yeah, taking it back a little bit, like, I honestly didn't have a mentality when I was pitching until I got to Arkansas. Uh, high school, I kind of just threw and let my stuff beat guys because at that point, it could. Obviously, you can't do that in the SEC. Um, and then I started getting getting to get in the game late, late in the game, shutting it down. And my mentality just kind of changed to don't let them get any of the momentum. Always keep the momentum our dugout especially in uh like big situations like that make the pitches and i really like clothes and it's really fun you get to fire up the dugout after you get out of a big jam or something or strike out the side fire up the dugout get let us go score some runs so with that man bomb walker stadium probably one of the top places to play what is it like when you go out there and you know like the game rests on your shoulders and what is it like when you succeed and you know the game like it's over and people are like going crazy yeah man when I'm out there I want the ball in my hand I don't I don't want anybody else to have to come in and save me because it is unlike anything I've ever experienced whenever you get out of a big situation or have a really good quick inning the roar of the fans something that's it's unforgettable. You know, you're not going to get that anywhere else but the SEC. So um, that's probably my favorite thing to do ever, to close out ball games and hear our crowd go wild. Yeah, no doubt. So two and one on the season with seven saves, a 1.3 ERA in your 15 appearances with 37 strikeouts. Um, we knew what you had coming. Um, you know, you talk about different doubts and you talk about your injury, but I remember watching you last year and I had nothing but the highest expectations of you. Um, but, you know, I couldn't have foreseen this much success early, especially in this role that I never expected you to be in. And so, you know, you kind of touched on it with Daniel, but, um, you know, you've changed roles or whatever, but did you expect to, I mean, when I say two and one with seven saves, like, did you expect that kind of success? Not in the slightest. I think the only – I don't even think my own parents expected that, honestly. I think they were just expecting me to go up here, get a little bit of experience, you know, throw a couple innings and be good with that. Um, I think really the 
the only people that thought that that could be a thing was Coach Hobbs. Well, he told me earlier in the year in the spring, he was like, I can see you. I'm like, I know you're not in a starting role, but I can see you pitching a lot in this rotation, especially at the end of the game. So uh, that kind of changed my mindset a little bit. Yeah, no doubt. So, you know, I talked about your popularity on social media and, you know, I hate social media for a million different reasons, but Brady, you have made it fun again. Even your dad, we talk on a regular, man. He hates social media more than I do. But, man, the, th the things that take place with you, whether we're talking about your filthy breaking balls and the pitching ninja sharing them, you know, the bobblehead thing that you had going the one game that they had fun with, um, your angry stare down that looked like you were maybe possibly going to murder the guy that you were pitching to. Um, and then, you know, this past weekend, you're now the governor of Mississippi. Like, I mean, for you, like, and I know you're not a big social media guy, man. You'll post things for your teammates here and there, whatever. But how much fun is it? Because I know you got to be scrolling on there and seeing all this. Yeah, I do. But at the same time, I kind of don't like looking at it. I feel like I'm going to jinx myself if I look at it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get it. But, hey, what's up with the Bible? I, I, I you know, I, you talk about a lot of things are new at Arkansas that weren't last year at Lewisburg. I mean, what what you got going on with that bobblehead? What was it, what's that about? Um, that's one of the reasons that I like closing so much is you get to get in there pissed off and throw everything 100%. And I was fuming that game against Missouri. I got you. I got you. So, of all your performances this year, man, what would you say was your favorite? Oh, man. Honestly, it's it's hard to decide. Uh, definitely Ole Miss and Mississippi State were probably the two best. I think I think probably Mississippi State. Uh, striking out the side two innings in a row is something I've never done before. And, again, the roar of the fans was absolutely insane because that was in the ninth inning, too. You know, at that point, we come in, we think we're about to win the game right here. So yeah, that was it's, that it's was probably, probably got extra a little extra juice beating the defending national champ like that too. So I'm sure I'm sure I'm sure that adds into it. But you know, talking about the the Ole Miss thing, obviously, um, you got SEC Freshman of the Week honors announced today. Um, you're also on the NCBWA watch list for Stopper of the Year. So shout out to you for uh, both of those. Um, you know, even though Randy, you know, Randy, you think he's gonna get it over your boy Redmond Walsh? You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, Redmond had some rough outings, man. I'm gonna go with Brady. Uh, hey, hey, he's only saying that because you're on the show, Brady. He would never say that about a Tennessee guy. He lying to you. That's probably true. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate it anyway. But before I let Randy talk all things Arkansas with both you boys, you know, I talked about your two and one record and Brady, Brady, Brady. We have had 130 episodes, whatever. All we've ever talked about is how much we have disdain for Florida and of all games for you to lose you pick Florida man why you do that to this brother man the game sped me up uh that but I just I did I thought I had way less time than I actually had tried to pull a little Fernando Tatis on them and it well I'm not Fernando Tatis so <laughs> hey, but oh, it's all man. right we're gonna get them again later in the year hopefully in a Hoover, I can get my redemption against them. Well, they got to get there first, Brady, but we'll, we'll talk about that later in a second. Chris, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shift over to you for just a second. I'm actually going to get both of you, but Chris, this first one's for you. 
So the team, you know, 34 and 10 on the season, your top five in the rankings, uh, second in the SEC West. How, well, second? Is this a typo? How does, now how does the team feel about where they are? Uh, well, first of all, I think we're first in the SEC. You West. are. You're second in the SEC. I got a typo yeah. here. I got yeah, to talk to my, I got to talk to my producer here off the off air. <laughs> yeah, I mean, me per- personally, I I feel amazing about it. But the people at Arkansas, like the kids that play here and the coaches, they're so used to it that like, if there was anything else, if it was anything worse than than first in the West, at least, I mean, second in the whole SEC is a disappointment for them. Kind of incredible, like the how much they the win around here. It's it's like a, it's a whole different attitude. Like at, at other colleges, it's just like kind of you know we win games here and there. You're you're kind of content, but if it's not, it's like if you're not number one here, you're you're disappointed. But but in my defense, since you're going to attack the producer, Randy, the the number one team is winning at an astronomical rate. So it's not like they're doing anything wrong, and they don't play each other as we discussed before this episode. No, no, no. It's all good. It's all good. Brady, obviously coming into the season, you kind of talked about it. Maybe you didn't have the expectations to perform like you have. I think that, you know, on this show, we thought it was obviously you had it in there and we're not as surprised to see it. But projections are they get a little you lose you get before the season comes in, you lose your Friday night starter, top 10 draft guy. Obviously, that's a that's a blow uh, to the stomach. Right. But you guys have obviously performed. But talk to me about how you guys overcame that, not only as a, as a team, but as a pitching staff. Oh yeah, man. We have, we just have so many arms that know how to win. They know how to pitch in big situations. Like for example, for example, Connor Nolan. um, I mean, he is carving up people like nobody's business. So he really stepped up in that Friday night role. And then right behind him, we got a freshman Hagen Smith on Saturday who's coming and absolutely blowing the doors off the SEC. Uh, so we just have a bunch of guys who are mentally tough enough to handle that role, and they've been doing a really great job. No, absolutely. I, what you guys have done as a staff, and I think that coming into the season, obviously you guys come off of the success. You know, Chris, you talked about it. If you're not number one, you're kind of a disappointment. Uh, the expectation coming in was to perform, and you guys, everything's still out in front of you, right? You don't want to be second in the SEC, but at the same time, there's nothing lost yet because even last year, you know, admittedly, Tennessee fan, right? And uh, all we wanted to do was get that SEC title, right? But Arkansas gets it. But even then, they said, hey, that's not enough. Winning the SEC isn't enough. So the goal is always, you know, to, to well, bring I'll home tell you, the Randy, trophy. Number one has traditionally not done well. The number one overall ranked team has not done well and usually tends to not make the Omaha. So it's not bad being number two. You know what I'm saying? This is true. This is true. So, so Chris, we've had Jalen Battles on the show. Obviously, he's a stud. But having him and, and Robert Moore in the middle infield, do you think there's – like this is a loaded question for you. Is there a better pair patrolling the middle in the country than those two? No, I can say definitely no. Uh, they've made some plays that, like – I've seen Rob, I, so I play right field. I've seen Robert range to balls that I was so confident that I was just going to have to get on a knee and, and, and get in front of. Like, they're, they're something I've never seen before. It's, it's unbelievable. I can confidently say they're the best in the country. No, absolutely. Brady, I saw you shaking your head. You, you agree, right? Absolutely, a thousand percent. I've never seen anything like them up the middle. They're incredible. Yeah, Chris talked about it being in right field, seeing it, but Brady is a pitcher, man. How comforting is that for you, man, knowing those – if a ball does get – if they get wood on it, you're good. It's 
very rewarding because there have been many times where, you know, they hit a pop-up or a ground ball for the last out of the ending, and I'm already walking to the dugout because I'm that confident in my fielders. As is, I couldn't do that in high school. I kinda is that when you're singing the worship songs into your glove? Different time, but Man, uh, <laughs> somewhere Scott Sharp just heard you, Brady. I'm just saying. Hey, that's still my boy. <laughs> Chris, I, I'll I'll go back to you for a second. What series this far has been the hardest for you guys? Uh, in terms of what, just, uh, just competition, or just be tough? Maybe one that you you, you know you won, but maybe you're like, man, we kind of got away with one, or just whoever. I mean, I'm I'm gonna have to say I'm gonna be honest. I'm gonna have to say Texas A&M, uh, not because of their this isn't, this isn't a shot at them. They have a good team, but it's not because of their team. It's because of their atmosphere was 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 pretty uh, rough. Hey, you're you're okay. Brady's dad gave me some messages and said this is the worst environment he's been in. So you're not lying. It it, it truly was. Uh, my <laughs> were they were they talking to you as you're over there in right field? Yeah, but that wasn't. It, it was mostly the the student section. Uh, it's right above our. our it's above the section above our dugout. Uh, they have two uh, decks, and they they got loud. They, oh man! They, the, hey, the good news is don't don't feel bad about what you say. One thing we don't interview on this show is Texas A&M baseball players, so they ain't listen. Yeah, and, and it was a good. I said, I said it before. There's about seven teams that are have the potential to finish in the bottom two. <laughs> they're, they're one of them, so they're not uh, that good. Oh man, I don't know about all that. Uh, Brady, Brady, I was gonna say Randy's been picking them lately. <laughs> I have because they've just been kind of hot, man. I ain't gonna lie, Brady. For you, man, what, what do you think's been the hardest series? You can't say AM now that he said it. Uh, if I can't say AM, shoot, Florida, I think, I think, <laughs> <laughs> no, not for you personally. Um, I can't say Florida because. It wasn't like that. It's like we beat ourselves, you know. Uh, I think the toughest fought one, honestly, might have been this last Ole Miss series because, man, they are a much better team than their record shows. Oh, them boys know how to swing the bat. Yeah, no doubt. So, Brady, I'll stay with you for a second. What's been – and maybe it's the same one. What's been y'all's best series as a team so far this year? Best series? Probably LSU, man. We were playing like a well-oiled machine. We won all three days. That is not an easy thing to do in the SEC, especially against a team like that with potential three first-round draft picks in their lineup. Uh, that was very, very proud of how we were playing. If we play like that at the end of the year, we're going to be playing for a long, long time. Randy, they only won one game because the umpire decided to call a third strike out because the batter took long to get in the box. That's all I'm saying. And I agree with it. You know, I agree. <laughs> so, Chris, you you agree LSU series y'all's best series? Yeah, I mean, we uh we, we played good that series. I mean, just behind it would probably be Mississippi State. I mean, we lost that last game in the next innings, but we played really well. Uh, yeah, man. I mean, they they Brady's now been named the governor of Mississippi after Mississippi State and Ole Miss. So, obviously, this this past week you kind of mentioned some of it. The, the Kendall Diggs walk off. Let's talk about that. Nobody's mentioned it yet. <laughs> But Chris, for you, what was that like? Just the whole, the atmosphere and the games in general. But to get that at the end, man. Oh, I mean, we we needed that. We needed that win. We needed that moment. Uh, and it couldn't happen to a better guy. Uh, Kendall Diggs is, is the best kid. Um, but he hadn't played in, in a while, so it's as a hitter, it's just so hard to have success when you haven't had live at bats in so long. 
he comes in there. He hit three balls that game over 100 miles an hour in uh, exit velo. Was that two, good? Uh, hit the, <laughs> uh, yeah, two of them were out. So what did you say? I didn't know if you took him as serious or sarcasm. He was he was obviously being sarcastic about is that good. I didn't even hear what he said. What'd you say? He, he said, is, I, that, I said, good? is that good? <laughs> oh yes, that's very good. <laughs> that's but I, I, I bet you've got some over a hundred. Yeah, a few. But uh two of the balls were caught and they, they talk about paying your taxes in baseball. And uh he, he sure did. He he uh he ended up being rewarded at the end of the game and smashed that one pretty good. Absolutely. So so Brady, obviously you kind of talked about it. You guys, you know, took care of Ole Miss. Now it's time to hit the road. You're playing an Auburn team that, even though they lost this past series, they really they pretty been pretty hot. I think they were had won eight in a row. They get one from Tennessee, and they were in it in the in Sunday against Tennessee. What's what's the message? What's coach's message going into this weekend? Yeah, man. Well, they're they're a really good team, just like the rest of the SEC. Everybody, you got to have a certain level of respect, especially when you're going to their ballpark. Um, but we haven't been playing the best on the road. So this is kind of a turnaround point for us, especially for our, our starters. Uh, this is the week where we're going to we're gonna turn it around. We're going to go down there and kick some butt. Absolutely. Chris, as an upperclassman, you talked about it. You're old for, for a college kid. You've been around the game a long time. How do you kind of help? You're kind of like a coach on the field, I'm sure. How do you help keep these younger guys focused and the goal is still not reached? I mean, it, it's they they help keep me focused. I mean, this kid's the most confident kid I've ever seen on the baseball field. So it's not age is just a number in, in terms of uh, kind of our team, not in college baseball, but just with the with the kids on our team. I mean, these these young guys have have uh, had accomplishments that I've I've never had. I mean, Arkansas just gets special special dudes. So it's I, I don't really I wouldn't say I'm I'm the one that keeps everybody calm, but. Uh, you know, we, we all we all play play pretty well. Uh, you know, under those harsh moments, so I wouldn't say I'm the commoner. Hey, man, you said you were the veteran, man. You know, I was just looking. But one In more thing, experience, yeah. But I, I these look at this kid on the mound. I mean, he he's more confident than anybody you've ever seen. You know, I'll tell you how Chris calls me down when he starts hitting them balls over the fence, widening that gap with the lead. That that helps me out a lot as a pitcher. So. I appreciate that. I'm sorry, blushing. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, look, we haven't talked about my least favorite team in the SEC, but you guys got them still coming up uh, against Vandy. You guys are at home. Anything less than a sweep, Brady, and you're never coming back on the show again. I'm just saying. It's understandable. It's understandable. But, look, before we get you out of here, Brady, you know the drill. We're going to play a little game or this or that. Chris, the rules on this are simple. I'm going to give you two options. You cannot say neither, and you can't say both. You down? Sounds good. I'm in. All right, Chris, I'm going to start with you. Would you rather have no ketchup ever or no ranch? This may be a loaded question for you coming from Massachusetts. I mean, I don't even know. Do you guys eat ketchup and ranch up there? Yeah, we're American. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think uh, I'd rather have ranch. I think ketchup's a little overrated. Right, oh, Brady. whoa. Oh, we, I ain't even a fan anymore. <laughs> Brady, oh, boy. Brady, hey, what about you, man? No, you're good. Did y'all ask me the same question? Sorry. Yeah, Brady, what, you, no ketchup or no ranch? No ketchup, man. You can't eat, can't eat wings with, without your ranch. No. This is fact. So this second question, man, it might be kind of loaded. I'm going to start with you, Chris. The childhood cancer yellow Arkansas hat or the camouflage military appreciation hat? 
Man, I feel like a sin. I, feel I like know. Choosing the, the yellow one. It's, uh, we're talking in terms of looks here, right? Yeah, we're talking in terms of looks. And, as a, and as, <laughs> as, a, as a veteran in the military and somebody who's had cancer, I can add, put this question in the box, okay? Yeah. So, I mean, I think the camo hats definitely – I don't – I don't think the yellow hats look great. I think the, the cause is great. I think the cause for both of them are, are, are unbelievable. I'm, I'm choosing the camel hats, though. They just look better. No, I, 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 and I agree with you. Brady, what about you? Yeah, man, those camel hats are special, especially with the Sunday creams. They look real good. They do indeed. Chris, would you rather be book smart or street smart? Street smart, for sure. It, it you you sound street smart. smart. I appreciate That's it. such a Boston answer, man. Brady, what about you? Street smart, man. Book smart's overrated. All right, Chris, I'm going to judge you based on this answer to this question. Is a hot dog a sandwich, yes or no? No. Absolutely not. Brady? I got to agree with him. He's from up north. They probably eat more hot dogs than I do. So, what? Is that true? <laughs> they eat more, more glizzies? More <laughs> glizzies. Hey, I'm proud that, that half the Tennessee players went with hot dog as a sandwich. I, I feel I feel better about them Tennessee boys. We're gonna have to run that tape back. Look, listen, t- you know, Jim went down to Houston to to watch that tournament and he got some fake split in half hot dog. They put it on the buns and now it's a sandwich. Me and DB, we're team hot dog is not a sandwich forever. You can I'm- run the you can run the tape back. We've had about half to get. Brooks Lee, the number one projected overall pick, said it's a sandwich, damn it. Isn't he from California? I don't even think that's yeah, true. Yes, he also yeah. believes in aliens, which Daniel Daniel almost ran up a rabbit hole with him. Yeah, I, we, we almost we almost went went way, way down off the rails with that dude. But look, guys, I, I'm still in the belief that Jim bought a chicken sandwich and a hot dog and then put the hot dog on the bun. And then, <laughs> then he wanted to be like, oh, in Houston, they have these. Uh, Even sent us a picture. but, so, but Chris, I che- so I cheated in Houston, Daniel? Is that what you're saying? Is that it no, did? they would never. It was not with a yeah, trash can. I, I didn't say it. You did, but yes. That's, that's what I believe. All right, getting back on track here, Chris. Would you rather have a painful truth or a comforting lie? Oh, painful truth for sure. I hate when people lie to me. Uh, I, I can't deal with that. All right, Brady. Man, this is going to sound boring because I'm just agreeing with him. Yeah, absolutely a painful truth because at least you know what's going on then. Yeah, just hit me with it. Bad. Absolutely. Okay, Brady, I'm going to start with the next question. I'm going to start with you. Would you rather be the smartest person in the world or the richest person in the world? richest person in the world come on man absolutely chris uh you can literally take half my brain i'll take all the money (laughs) (laughs) Uh, all right this next question brady i'm gonna start with you because i don't want you just shot copying off of chris here man and he might have answered this question or you might have been on before we even did it no he he, this is this is new to him okay Uh, would you rather spend 10 years in a coma or five years in jail Five years in jail, man. Brady, we know you, bruh. We know you, bruh. You're a pretty dude, too, man. <laughs> and do you think that your mama Brady, can get in there and yeah. cut your hair in jail? Hey, Brady. man. Hey, My mama's going to be a nobody. lot more sad if I'm in a coma than if I'm in jail. At least I can call her in jail. Look, True. Ain't, ain't nobody that says they got to have their mom cut their hair every time convincing this dude right here 
that you're going to go to jail. Not, not happening. I kind of like his answer, though, man. He said at least he can call her. I, I kind of dig it, man. Hey, and at least you're still living life. Ten years in a coma. That's just Look, ten years hey, gone. I will say this. Look, Brady went from high school to college. He got sleeved up. He's yelling in his glove. He might come out a hardened criminal, man, if he went to jail for a couple years. He's getting there. He's getting there. All right, Chris. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to choose jail just because, like, I feel like if I'm going to call him for 10 years, they might pull the plug. You know, I, I don't know if I'm going to uh, – I don't know if I'm going to survive that one. You Look, we've had MMA fighters on here, and we, we've had all kind of people answer that question. I never believe any of them, but I think it's your Boston accent. I believe you, bro. I think that you would be in jail oh, and be boy. just fine. No, nah, I'm a good kid. I uh, I just sound like a like a rebel, probably. <laughs> All right, Brady, would you rather be a hero or a villain? Villains always have the cooler costumes. So I'm going to the villain. Yeah. All right. Well, Chris, hero or villain? I'm gonna be a hero because uh, heroes attract you know big fan bases, and big fan bases means you know money. And I want to be right. <laughs> you know, we didn't ask the question, obviously. I know by what you're saying that we used to ask, would it be friends or money? I'm not even going to ask you guys that because, Chris, I feel like you're picking money, man. And I dig it. it dep- I mean, it depends on which friends you're talking about. If it's close friends, I'm choosing friends. But uh, well, the, way, the way we have framed it is the number one overall pick in the MLB draft, but you have to cut your friends loose. No. I'm not cutting my friends loose. Man, Brady, don't lie to me. You know you would. No, man, I couldn't. My friends have been there for me for way too long, man. Your mom will still be there to cut your hair. Your dad will still be there to to, to house you. (laughs) You're known as a phony for the rest of your life, so it's like you can't – I wouldn't be able to live with that. Yeah. Oh, man. Guys, anything that y'all want to plug or promote before you guys get off here, man? Uh, appreciate you, Mama, for the haircuts. <laughs> Chris, anything, man? I got nothing. I uh... so I, I I had a feeling Brady was gonna give a shout out to Mom for the haircut, and I figured, you know, I would have to come up with something for you guys. So I did. If you want to know more about Brady Tiger, follow him on Instagram at underscore Brady Tiger underscore. If you want to learn a little bit more about Chris, that's on Instagram at Chris Lands L A N Z two zero, or you can follow them both through Arkansas Baseball's Instagram page at Razorback BSB. Guys, Tuesday night six thirty versus Missouri State SEC Network Plus. Friday night seven o'clock. You're going to number nineteen Auburn. Uh, you got Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Saturday four thirty, Sunday one o'clock. All on SEC Network, guys. Good luck to you. Knock it out this weekend in the season on a high note so we can bring you back and talk about Omaha and all that good stuff, man. Yes, sir. Sounds good. Appreciate y'all having us on, man. All right. We're going to take a break. We're going to plug some sponsors. When we come back, Jim, Randy, and myself, we're going to talk college baseball, NBA. We're going to recap the NFL draft, MLB, and so much more. Have you struggled with weight loss, pain management, Maybe you just lack in energy. I struggled with all these things. And then I got introduced to Truvy, an official sponsor of In Off The Bench. If you download the Truvy app, T-R-U-V-Y, and use the official In Off The Bench code, Easy Money, you can save money and get hooked up today and get your life turned around. 
Base Sports Performance is an athlete and personal training facility located in Hernando, Mississippi that specializes in athletic development through strength and conditioning, speed and agility, and movement-based training. They offer individualized programs for adults as well as professional, collegiate, high school, and youth athletes. Some of their program options include athlete performance training, small group personal training, return from injury programs, throwing and pitching development for baseball players. The best place to check them out is on Instagram, at base underscore sports underscore performance. Website is basesportsperformance.com. Their email address is base period sports performance at gmail.com and phone number is 662-292-7761. I'm personally using them for a return from injury program and we have had many in off the bench guests who have used them for their pitching development. So check them out today. Welcome back to the In Off the Bench podcast. We're going to talk some headlines for you guys, and we're going to lead off with college baseball. And it's a, it's a great week when it comes to picks, really, on everyone's uh, front. I went 9-1. and one. Jim, Randy, you guys went 8-2. and two. Um, You know, what I'll start with, Jim, is what were some of the biggest surprises this week, in your opinion? You know, I haven't been the biggest believer in Texas, but for Oklahoma State to handle them and sweep them the way they did was a surprise to me. I thought it would be a more competitive series. I thought maybe Texas could get one in there. I did pick Oklahoma State to win. Um, but it's clear now that Oklahoma State is the is the big front runner in the Big 12. And so for Texas, a team that was a preseason favorite, you know, they started off um, you know, ranked uh, – well, they started off ranked two, Arkansas was one, and then they ended up number one. They went down to the Shriners Classic, did their thing, and, and here we are. And really, I think Texas Tech may be ranked above them as well. So, um, you know, re- real shocked that Texas is kind of, you know, falling down a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you know, going into the season, obviously, Texas is always, like, a big name. Obviously, you saw them early on. Um, but you know, Oklahoma state's always been that team that's on the cusp, but they, they kind of float in that, that, that territory that some of those teams that, you know, we, we don't like to mention too much of Notre Dame, Florida state where they're right there, but they just can't quite figure it out. I don't know if this is the year that Oklahoma state figures it out, but you know, we'll, we'll see. Um, I, I was surprised a little bit. I hate to say it by you know, Georgia Tech and Miami, I thought that would go a little bit differently. Um, but, you know, in retrospect, thinking about both of those teams, Randy, it's like, you know, exactly what we just talked about. It's the same team. Miami, Georgia Tech, uh, they're teams that have high expectations going into the year and and something gives one way or the other and they're not there towards the end. But, um I think I went against what I normally do and and picked the wrong team. But hey, you know, life happens. But so did I. After I said I'd never pick them again. You know, and I thought that too. As I was typing it in, you know, when I was getting ready to hit send, it was just like, do I really want to go that route? We called them fraud, you Daniel, and then you picked them. Yeah, you're right. I I, I have no one to blame. I could have went ten and zero, but I, I chose. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking. It's a long week. That's all I can say, boys. Um, <laughs> but what I will say is who's not having long weeks, and that's the, the Tennessee Volunteers, Randy. Those dudes are just getting it done. Is there anybody 
playing at their level, and can anybody stop them? Uh, there's nobody playing at their level. I think that's evidenced by being 40 and four. I mean, they've only lost two SEC games. They haven't lost a series, obviously. I mean, Auburn pushed them to the brink. I think what we're seeing, though, is maybe they're not dominating entire series like they were early in the year, and that's why people think they see some chinks in the armor. Uh, but to be able to pull off, um, you know, they, they, they let up the lead Saturday, but to be able to come back and get that, I mean, it matters for those guys, and there was a lot of a ruckus about that. But as far as can somebody stop them, I mean, it's baseball. Uh, Jim touched on it earlier in the episode that being the number one team in the country has not always been, well, hardly ever has it been a good thing going into Omaha. So, I mean, we'll see. But these guys don't seem to be losing any of their hunger, DB, to to keep on getting wins. Yeah, I mean, you, you watch them play, and I, I think, you know, you're saying that some people are thinking, well, maybe there's some chinks in the armor. Jim, I'll ask you. I just think there's just more stats and more – video and more like out there so it's a little bit easier for teams to kind of find rhythms and routines and 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 find things on some of these guys but at the end of the day the way they're swinging the bats man it's it's tough to beat them uh the the simple game would be uh when they were down four to one uh randy help me out last week uh who are they playing in the in the midway game or last week auburn no, not this past weekend, the week before that. Last weekend, uh, Sunday, they were down 4 1, one in extra innings. Uh, oh, bum. I, I don't, I don't, I know. I, I went, I went mind blowing. Anyway, last week coming in, they ain't really hit all game. Come Florida, in, Florida, yeah, that's right. Come in, should remember that. Come in 4 1, um, and then they just tee off, take it to extra innings, and then extra innings, of course, hit a bomb. Right, and then to Randy's point about Auburn, it's a 3 3 game, and then Jordan Beck does what Jordan Beck does. Like, like you said, Daniel, the way they swing the bat, like, you know, the the pitching is is the bonus. But, like, it, you know, Randy talked about Ole Miss last year, right? It felt like they were never out of a game. Tennessee feels like that and some. Like, I mean, when you go into a 4-1 game in the ninth inning, like, you're glued in because Tennessee's probably fixing to make some magic happen. I got a question for both of y'all. And, and Jim, I'm, I'm going to start this with you. Why in a late game situation does anybody pitch to Jordan Beck? Man, I don't know because if you watch, like for instance, uh, Ole Miss, they'll usually they'll usually walk um, Elko or Auburn. They uh, Tennessee would walk up, uh, however you say his name, Big Boy. <laughs> he's a he's a husky boy. Yeah, they they stay away from guys like that. Um, I get, I mean, I guess because Gilbert's batting the way he is, it maybe it doesn't matter. And then Lipscomb, I mean. That, I mean, that's exactly what you're talking about, right? And what and what Daniel just said. You, if you pass three, then four and five. I mean, where is there a gap? I can and, Russell, it, and then Russell's behind them. True. Here, here's where it comes, guys. It's minimizing the big hit. Like, if you don't pitch to him, the next guy could knock the ball out of the yard, too. So, you, you got you to gotta pick your battles. If I'm going to lose, I'd rather lose to a solo home run than – putting guys on base and, and, and getting just pounded. Cause I mean, you saw all, I mean, basically the first two games, you know, in later innings, especially that Friday night game, that, that game, it was just. Oh yeah. On stop. I Take mean, one down, yeah. pass it around. Yeah. It was, it was, it was ridiculous, but DB, I got a question know. though, before we move on from that though, as a pitcher, what we have seen Tennessee struggle with is the, is the breaking ball or off speed pitchers. 
not that everybody's just got a dominant, but I mean, especially, and I don't want to call him out because I love him. Lipsius really struggles with left-handers that can throw a curveball. I mean, you saw Tennessee Tech do that to them. If you're a pitcher, if you have any semblance of an off-speed pitch, aren't you throwing it every time? Yeah. I mean, you want to keep those guys off balance because you know, like when you're talking exit velocity and balls flying off bats, like you're only playing into their hand when you're throwing them fastballs. And if you're able to even locate to, you know, a, a monicum of, of success, like you need to be throwing it. Even if you, you throw it four times in a row and they all are balls, at least you're putting it in, in their mind that you're going to throw it. Speaking um, might... of fastballs, 105.5 officially it came out today. Ben Joyce, fastest pitch ever recorded in but, college baseball. But I wanted to say something about that, Randy, because I just put out a clip of you talking to Evan Russell about Ben Joyce and about Chase Burns. And he said he'll catch the 105 all day before he catches Chase Burns going 98, 99, and then turn around and hit him with the breaking stuff. And that's my thing. Hey, Ben Joyce, all, man, shout out. Doing, doing something no one in college baseball has ever done. But, man, give me the arsenal in my sleeve like Chase Burns and be able to throw 98-99 and then also have four pitches that just dominate the zone. But I'm going to – I agree with what you're saying. And, and Evan Russell knows it a lot better than we do, right? But I, what I did see and what I have seen the last three times Ben Joyce has pitched – He'll go 103, and then he'll drop an 81 mile an hour. I mean, to me, that thing probably looks like a slow pitch softball after you see 102, right? Yeah, no, no doubt. Let me ask you this: you, we talked about Redmond Walsh, and he's actually been fantastic. But Ben Joyce um, closed out the game the other day, and he's had a couple games where he's done that this year. Um, is do you see potentially where you know if Ben Joyce continues to stay hot, that that he may slip into that role? Not this year because let me tell you why. Because Tony Vitello and Frank Anderson are big on trust and they trust Redmond Walsh more than they trust anybody on that staff because he's older, he's been there, he's done that, he's been in the moment. And last year, that dude had a rough go at it. And the close, you know, we saw him come in in the in a reliever role and the closer role. He just didn't have it this year. He's been lights out. Take away this last weekend when he gave up the the lead that's not normal Redmond Walsh but no I think they trust him too much to change that and that's what I said about when Auburn had that victory I said man you got a rare anomaly from a guy who doesn't usually mess it up good you know good for them hey they earned it but I mean that, sure. that's not something that happens regularly and Pierce was hitting bombs and not to mention Sonny DeShare is the hottest he is the best hitter in college baseball so they they took a chance and like DB said they kind of played into his hands you threw him a fastball he left it over the front of the plate that's what he's going to do. Daniel, let me ask you about him. So let's switch to the other team for a second. You know, I talked to Greg James and Josh Tiger about him. We were talking because they got to see him in person, up up close and in person. Um, and they said he's even bigger, obviously, than he looks on TV. You know, there was guys like the Panda for the Giants and everything. Um, if you're a pro scout, how much of a concern is his weight? I'm being honest. So this isn't this isn't throwing shade at somebody. I'm I'm asking you as someone who's been a talent evaluator, like, how much of a concern is his weight going to the next level? I mean, obviously you want the guy to be able to be fluid and, and, and move. But Miguel Cabrera, David Ortiz, ever heard of him? Husky. Big dudes. Big <laughs> they dudes. Ain't, they ain't that husky, though. Yeah, this, this no. is pretty. This is pretty I mean, That's why I use Panda as the reference. But he's also not on a pro regimen. He's not, you know, getting paid to go work out and train and have, you know, people 
tell him on a day-to-day basis what to eat and what to do. I think that's the one disconnect between college players and pro players is that one thing is that the downtime that college players have, they're left to their own vices and not so much at the pro level. Well, what backs up exactly what you're saying is I sent you about it, you know, Houston Harden, guests of ours, once he got in the Angles, Angels organization, he's dropped 30 pounds going through what they've had him going through, and he doesn't even look like the same guy. Yeah, I mean, if you, you what you don't want to do is lose weight and change rotationally what they're able to do with the bat, which can happen. Um, so you got to figure out a way to, to work within the confines of the body and, you know, He's a, a, a big dude, but there's also other big guys in the game that, you know, are able to figure it out and get it done. And some of those guys like, you know, Cabrera and David Ortiz, they were a lot slimmer and a lot more trim and not small guys, but they were, you know, more in shape guys than they are towards the back half of their career. I mean, Miguel Cabrera just hit for 3000 hits. You think he gives a shit about weight and all that right now? No. I, I like what my man said after getting his 3,000 hit. He didn't care because they lost the game. Very true. But, Jim, I mean, obviously, we, you know, we're, we're talking about Mississippi teams, but I feel like the, the two teams that we probably thought might have a run in Mississippi are, are getting close to being done. Um, there's one team in Mississippi that's just killing it. And I think, you know, it's not the team that anybody had, expe- had expected going into the season. Yeah, it's baby, baby brother. Um, bro, when you look, you know, me and Randy were alluding to it earlier. When you look at this schedule coming up for both of them, but specifically Mississippi State. So Mississippi State has a couple games on Ole Miss, but the problem is they got Florida, they got Tennessee, they got Texas A&M. I mean, I'm trying to be optimistic. Those are our guys. We've had so many guests. We grew for them. We got to watch them win a national championship in Omaha. You know, I'm going to the Florida series this weekend. Um, naturally, with the Florida hate, got to be there, fellas. But, um, well, I mean, even if they get by this series, let's say they win this series. I mean, with Tennessee on deck and Texas, I mean, can you win those three series? If they, if they can, then, hey, man, I, they would become a scary team. I just don't see it. Ole Miss obviously has Missouri this weekend. Obviously, they just beat Mississippi State, but they they really shouldn't have Mississippi State got in their own way. They should win that one, but um, I forgot who they have in between. But then they got to finish up at the – no, they got the box next. I forgot who they finished with. Um, but obviously, they're way down there in their record column. I think it's like 7-13 and 13 or something. 7-14. 7-14, and 14. Seven and 14. yeah. So, um yeah, man. Um, and, you know, you heard Brady talk about it. They're way better than their record says, but, you know, it doesn't matter how good you are. You got to perform. You got to get the dubs. And so um, it could be wild, man. You're talking about – I saw the odds on favorites for teams to make um, Omaha this year, and it's amazing when you look at what Ole Miss and Mississippi State were projected and where they're at now. Um, it's it's a it's a major disappointment. The good news for Mississippi State is, I mean, you just won a national championship, so you can hang your hat on that. You went to Omaha three years in a row. Ole Miss, I mean, they've they've come up short so many years, and then if they possibly finish last, um, it's just the end of Bianco. But um, 
Yeah, the Mississippi baseball is disappointing. Like you said, you gotta go, you gotta go down to the Pearl area. You gotta watch Southern Miss if you want to get some wins. So, what's the what's the odds for Southern Miss to go to Omaha? Because I I would almost be willing to put a hundred down on them. Well, as of right now, as of right now, they got them. They would if they they won in the regional, they'd be hosting a super regional. So I mean. Um, they seem to play well at home. I don't get to watch them. The problem is the two games that I watched them, Daniel, were against Mississippi State and Ole Miss. So I'm watching them against two struggling teams. But statistically, what you see, their rankings and everything, um, there's a chance. I think it would be – I think it would be a cool story. I, I don't know about you. I mean, I know you don't live in Mississippi. Randy don't live in Mississippi. But if the the other two big dogs, big brothers, couldn't get there and, and you know, they did, um, man – I mean, how excited would that team, that school, you know, that fan base be? I mean, I think what's – what is silly for us is to fall into the, the trip, the, the trap that these guys are it's, – it's unfathomable to think that they would be there. Because if you look back on their, their history, they've been in the mix but they've been overshadowed by teams like Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Southern Miss has been a good baseball team for, for a little bit now. Yeah, yeah. So Was it the region uh, or super regional that they gave Mississippi State a run at it last year? The one of them, they got them for one game. Anyway, so, I mean, they were, they were knocking on the door last year. Yep. Um, and now they know that they can compete. So, I mean, that's, that's a dangerous thing. But LSU, man, is looking pretty dangerous, too. Um, starting to hit their stride. I mean, what is, what is the likelihood that LSU can do some damage in the SEC tournament and possibly make a deep run? Okay, so they're starting to hit their stride around the same time that they did last year. You know, as Randy you know, loves to allude to, they, they ran into a buzzsaw twice over. Um, in Tennessee, and, you know, it could possibly happen again. Um, but, I mean, the the bats that we knew of are there. Um, Dylan Cruz is hitting missiles at an alarming rate. Jacob Berry is a beast. King K. Doty. Um, man, I love it. The the tagline, talk Doty to me. Uh, I, I love it, dude. The, these dudes um, are drilling. Mikhail Hilliard, um, you know, you're talking about a kid. He was actually going to come on our show. Um, you know, I never even really spoke much of it to you guys because Devin Fano said he would do it. And then um, two weeks later, he lost his dad in a tragic accident. And um, he said, you know, let's just let's just wipe it. And so I say that to say um, this is a kid who in the offseason um, lost his dad, um, you know, had to find himself. And right now he's got a uh, I think it's six and oh record has um, become their Friday um, guy. He's looked very good. Their bullpen has gotten better. Um, Jay Johnson's gotten better at managing it. Do I think that they'll win a national championship? I mean, any team can make a run and do it. But, I mean, they do look like a team that could go to Omaha. And they do have a schedule, especially let's say Ole Miss um, looks like they're out of it. I don't know how they respond. I don't know if they'll just hang it up or if they'll go out and try to play spoiler. But, you know, you got Ole Miss in the back end, and you may have a, a team that's just doesn't even care anymore, and that can help your, you know, your record overall by, you know, sweeping out a team like that at home in the box. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to come down to uh, guys stepping up and maybe some guys that we haven't seen or haven't heard too much from for them to make a run. But obviously, they're picking a really good time to start playing really well. I did. Um, I got to say something to Randy real quick, and, and I know he'll agree with me, even though it's a Tennessee guy. So there was a bunch of people saying that, well, Jordan Beck's the best uh, – the best hitter in college baseball. I said, I think Dylan Cruz would like to have a say in that argument. I think even you yourself would agree with that statement. I think Trey Lipson is better than both of them. <laughs> better wrestler. No, I think that, yeah, I think Dylan Cruz is a great hitter, but I mean, statistically, Trey is right there with him. I mean, as far as when a game is on the line, Jordan Beck's hit more go-aheads than anybody, I think is what I saw the other day. But, oh, man, yeah, Dylan Cruz is a monster at the plate. Dylan shouldn't even be in college baseball. <laughs> that, that's what, that's what just, every guy came on here and said. Start with that. So, all right, let's let's get ready to move on, but um, let's end it, end our college baseball talk with this. Obviously, Brady and Chris were our guests tonight. Arkansas is traveling to play number 19, Auburn. Big series for both teams. Um, Arkansas just trying to, you know, maintain their status, you know, at the top. Um, Auburn's trying to, you know, find their way towards the top. So, Randy, I'll start with you. What what happens this weekend? Is it Arkansas all the way? Is it Auburn making it close? Does Auburn win the series? What happens? Oh, man, I think it's going to be uber competitive. I'm going to say that they're going to split Friday, Saturday, and there's going to be a rubber match on Sunday, and our boy Brady Tiger is going to shut it down. But I do think Auburn is going to get one. I think that that team is is as good as any team in the SEC. I've only watched them play one other series other than when they played Tennessee, and that team is stacked. Their lineup is good. Their pitching is good. Their bullpen's good. And they got a lot of uh, confidence, a lot of flair. Uh, and, you know, there was a lot that going on this last weekend against Tennessee. I don't mind any of that, man. Flip your bat, and especially if we're going to do it, we better expect it to come back, right? So, I like that team to make it competitive, and I think that team has a really good shot when they get to Hoover to, to make a deep, deep run. I, um, I, I agree with that, and I think that, you know, if you asked me about – if you asked me two weeks ago, Auburn versus Arkansas, I would hands down say Arkansas all the way. But I think Auburn just picked up a lot of confidence. I mean, for the most part, there was two games where they – we're the better team for the majority of the game. Um, oh, whoa. Saturday, Tennessee led the whole game, DB. Two games. Gave up the booty. Two games. Majority of the game. Better team. All right. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not agreeing with you. That's fine. You don't have to. And, and, while, a, and while we're not uh, – uh, I'm not agreeing with either of you because I actually watched Auburn in person for three games and I watched Mississippi State take the series in Starkville. I'm not a believer. Well – what I what I believe is that Auburn thinks that they can play with anybody. Now, um, whether that's the truth or not, we'll find out. I still think Arkansas takes two or three, um, and you know I think Auburn makes it close. I think they are going to keep it competitive and scrappy. And you know I don't I don't I don't know if it's going to be you know you know. Friday, one one team, Saturday, the next team, rubber match on Sunday. But um, it'll be interesting to see. You know, Auburn, if they pull off the the sweep, I mean, they would be first in the West. A lot to play for. 
Jim, who you got to play for? Uh, I got Arkansas taking two out of three. I'm not. I want to pick the sweep just because um, y'all are on that Auburn train. Like I said, I watched them lose in Starkville, but um, I do think y'all are both right. They are a competitive team. They are a good team. They'll find a way to get one. Go ahead, and give me the the Razorbacks to take the series and stay up top up west. All right, all right. Well, Randy, let's talk NBA. Let's talk Grizz. That's um, what I've been waiting on, DB. You know, obviously, let's talk the first-round matchup. Let's talk T-Wolves. Um, they had a tough matchup. I think everybody going in knew it was going to be a tough matchup. I mean, you know, the Wolves, you know, they're, they're I think, a little bit better than what we had thought, despite knowing it was going to be a matchup nightmare. But I'll ask you, was the series exactly the way you had pictured it going, or was it a little better for the Wolves or a little worse for the Grizz? You know, I said it going into the series. I did not like the matchup for the Grizzlies. I thought if that Timberwolves team had a little bit more moxie and a little bit more experience, they probably win that series 4-2 to two themselves. Um, they just run a lot of length at you when you're talking about Jared Vanderbilt and – Jaden McDaniels couldn't miss a three. You got, you know, Patrick Beverly doing his thing. Carl Anthony Towns, when he wants to be, is a dominant player. Anthony Edwards became, you know, a superstar in this playoffs. You run a Malik Beasley. They just run a lot of length at you. So they can, when they do make a mistake, they can recover quickly. And I know you love length, DB. Yeah, I was going to say, you say length one more time, he's going to be a T-Wolves fan. Yeah, so they just, they're so, they're so big. And obviously, you know, it was very evident early on that Steven Adams was not going to be a factor. He was not a good matchup for Carl Anthony Towns. But I say all that to say this. Three times they go in, the Grizzlies are down double digits going into the fourth quarter. So two things can be true here. The Grizzlies never quit, and they're always going to be in a game. But you have to give up a double-digit lead in the NBA. They can't just take it. you got to do stupid shit. And the Timberwolves did more stupid shit than I've seen any playoff team do in a long time. And I'm thankful for it. Just like the last game, we're playing game six. They're, you know, at home. They're in Minnesota. We in Minnesota now. And <laughs> the dude, <laughs> Carl Anthony Towns, they're down one, and he comes and shoots a three, four seconds into the 24 second, the shot clock. What the hell are you doing? Take your yeah, time, I get a set, get the ball over to Edwards, swing it around. I mean, and not to mention the Grizzlies were frazzled. They were running. It was a fast break. He did not have to do any of that. No, I will. I'll ask this, Jim, and I just not watching, you know, the Timberwolves most of the season. Were they, are they typically a good three point shooting team? Because I felt like, I felt like they were just lights out. And I don't know if it was just happening at, at, at unheard of times, but like, or inopportune times for the Grizz, but like, it was like, boom, 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 boom. They they are, and an easy answer is these were the top two scoring teams in the NBA. You don't get to be a top scoring team in the NBA unless you make three. Um, the thing I would say, you know, Randy talked about it was a bad play by Cat. I mean, going unless you go back to, like, Dirk, I don't – man, I can't remember a seven-footer who knocks down threes so effortlessly like Cat. Jaren Jackson Jr.? Yeah. The other day, but he also has some oh, bad yeah. stretches. But, no, Cat, Cat's pretty consistent, but – um, no, I mean, they, they do hit some time. Of, that I, I would I would revert this back to one of you two to answer this question. How many corner threes do the Grizzlies have to give up? Because they never fix the problem. Even as a matter of fact, the game where Ja hit the, the layup with like a, a you know, second left, 
they gave up that that play out of the set with the open corner three, but that wasn't like just one play. That was the entire series. That corner three felt like it was there every play. It's been a problem. It was a problem in game one for the Warriors, too. When the Grizzlies, their pick-and-roll defense, all you have to do is run a weak side screen and you lose the guy because what they do is they show and they switch late. So, but to what you, the question you asked, DB, or the the Timberwolves made the most threes in the NBA this year. So that wasn't unique. Like they do that a lot, but they were getting a lot of open threes. And and to be, you know, we're going to get into it, but an open three is what cost the Grizzlies game one as well. Yeah. Um, so let's go there. Obviously, the, the Grizz are able to, to, you know, figure out the magic in the fourth quarter. They, they take down the Wolves. They move, you know, and, and I'll ask you this. So they, they play on a Friday night and then turn around and play on a Sunday. Like, is that, is that typical or is that just the way that it, that it happened? Like, or are you, are you happy to see like the quick turnaround and like, let's just move into it and like get it going? No, because no other team had to play only on one day rest. Every other team got at least three days rest. The Grizzlies played late Friday and then played 2.30 on Sunday. And every one of those games came to the wire, too, not to mention. So it's not like so Grizz. Yeah, the Grizz had to work every single game. And do, you swear, think it, do you think it would have mattered? Um, no, because you still saw John Morant play 38 minutes. So I know I, I don't think it really mattered. And you saw John play better in the Golden State game than he did any game in the Timberwolves series. Right. And, Jim, you, you watched the game, man. It. So let's let's start, you know, in the first quarter, Draymond gets ejected. So are you in agreement that, that that's cause for ejection? Uh no. Uh I, I I definitely thought it was a flagrant. Um I didn't feel like the the contact to the face was uh intentional in any way, but they I will say this, um, you know, we've all preached consistency and I've seen Plenty of guys get ejected for that very same thing, even though it wasn't on purpose. So, I mean, if you're looking from a consistency standpoint, then, yes, that's the right call. Um, but, man, to throw a guy out in game one of the playoffs on something that wasn't intentional, um, you know, and then you had a jersey pull, it's unfortunate. But then you know what makes it easy? For him to act the way he did afterward and then say that I could not be happier that he was ejected because um, there, there ain't no room for that nonsense. Well, I mean, I, me personally, what, you know, the, the rules are interpreted how the rules are interpreted. If you follow the rules, despite what Draymond seems to think, if you follow the rules by the way they're written, he absolutely should have been ejected from the game. Yeah, no, I think back to, I think back to uh, an Oklahoma City series where KD came down to try to block a shot and he, and he hit dude on the top of the head. He was clearly going for the ball, but he hit him on the head and he got ejected in a big game. Um, and I didn't like it then. And, and, and so like it, it is, a, so it's been a consistent rule to the point, but I mean, if you're going for the ball, I feel like, I don't know. That's just I, me. But the, I, the, I, the, the, I, that wasn't why he got ejected though. The ejection came from grabbing his collar and pulling they, it down. They, they, in their explanation, they said it was the, it was both. It was because he right. hit him in the face the, and then got him the collar down. So the flagrant one was the slap in the face. The flagrant two was pulling him down. But I watched so, that play a million times over, Randy. When he pulled him down by his collar, did it also not seem like he tried to catch him before he hit the floor? I swear to God, it did. But yeah, but here, but, here's but, the thing. Like, it's like when my when my daughter does something and then she goes, I'm sorry. 
after she does it. <laughs> well, it doesn't make it okay. Just because you tried to keep them from hitting the ground doesn't make like the first half of that okay. Well, hey, yeah. that, isn't there something to be said, Randy? They always say, based on the player and their history, it matters when they make calls. I've always believed that to be true. If you have a guy who typically plays clean and was to make that play, more than likely gets away with it. You got a guy like Draymond who has typically had bad plays like that. It usually can sway a decision. Do you agree? No, I agree. But what I think what happened in this one is they all, they've said it all year this year especially, is it's not about intent. It's about the action. So I think it absolutely should have been ejected. On the flip side of that, though, I think that that might have ignited the Warriors a little bit because Draymond being Draymond, he fires up the crowd and he runs out and does his thing. And but let's don't get it twisted. Draymond already had four turnovers. Everybody's like, oh, Draymond was locking him down. Draymond wasn't locking shit down. Draymond being a five against the went on the court. I want Draymond on the court because we can come. We're going to run downhill right at his sorry ass. And by the way, fuck Draymond Green. Hey, let me let me tell you, let me tell you what happened that the when Draymond left. Did you see who came right back in the game and was the last person you you, you know all the talk about Steph and Clay. Well, Poole had a shortened uh, time on the bench and came back in the game. And so it's uh, to Randy's point, not only did they get fired up, but the guy who's actually, you know, playing the best of all of them comes back in the game. So it's like, bring Draymond back. Yeah, um, I agree. I think, well, one thing that I know is we we wasted an opportunity um, to win a game that we should have probably won, um, you know, but. Randy, lo- losing this game, I mean, obviously, the last series, we lost the first game at home. We do yeah. the same thing here. Are people up in arms? I, I don't know what, what the consensus is in the, in the city right now, but are people up in arms like, oh, the Warriors are going to win, or are they like, all right, it's one game. Like, it took Clay Thompson, you know, hitting a three, which, you know, in, in hindsight, he's probably going to hit that nine times out of ten. You know, yeah, I think the consensus is pretty it's pretty good because these guys have done this all year. They've every time that we doubt them, they come back and prove us wrong. Um, so I think that the it's good. It's a long series. It's, you know, best of seven. So they got plenty of time. And we know that the Grizzlies can go on the road and win games. And I don't think that we're talking about a Golden State team that is unbeatable. This is not 2015, not 2016 or whatever. What we're I love this matchup a lot more than I like the Timberwolves matchup because of the size. Jordan Poole was unconscious. Gary Payton played really well. There were only two Golden State Warriors with a positive plus minus in that game, and that's Gary Payton, the third, the second, excuse me, and Jordan Poole. So I don't think that it was like, oh man, we really we did miss an opportunity because we had the ball. I would love to see Taylor Jenkins stop fucking with his lineup like he does. When you come out in the second half and throw Conchar in and you throw uh, Xavier Tillman, he can't play no more. He cannot be on the court. It's not a good matchup. That, that was just a bailout to Steven Adams in the first the first round. Type and it worked. It worked in the in one game in the Timberwolves series. It worked. And I hear what he's doing. But my you always hear about teams shortening their rotation when it comes to playoff time, and we haven't seen that yet from Taylor Jenkins. Look, the guy knows more about basketball than I do. I just think that you have some matchups in this one, and the numbers bear this out. This dude's an analytical guy, so we got to go with the matchup that is Jaron Jackson at the four, Brandon Clark at the five, Dylan, uh, Desmond, and Ja. That matchup only played like 
eight minutes together the other day. And That's I, your death and, lineup. And let, me, and let me tell you, since you brought his name up, whether you go to the Timberwolves series or you go to game one, um, not enough can be said about Brandon Clark's energy, his defense, his rebounding. I mean, he's creating second opportunities. Um, he, he, you know, so, you know, all the jokes we had about who should be Daniel Terry player, whatever, all that aside, man. Brandon Clark has been next level and it's, and it's, and it kind of flies under the radar because you do have John triple J and all that, but let me hit a negative real quick. And I'll let you touch on both these guys, uh, Brandon Clark for the positive. We talked about it in real time. Look, man, Dylan Brooks defense is spot on, but at what point, man, does somebody just grab him by the Jersey and say, stop fucking shooting? Well, clearly never, but <laughs> I want you, I, I'm going to read some, you know, cause I'm a, a stats guy. And I'm a big plus-minus guy, and PER is a big thing, player efficiency. But if you're just looking at just these playoffs, the leader in plus-minus, I don't think any of us are surprised by this, is Brandon Clark. He's plus 41 in seven games. That's stupid good. Ja, for everybody saying that he hasn't played well, including myself, he's plus 29. And by the way, the dude is almost averaging a triple-double. His rebounding numbers have almost doubled in the playoffs. So he's not shooting the balls well. Maybe he's not – he didn't get to the rim as much in the Minnesota series, but plus 29. Triple J is plus 21. I think all that came against the Warriors because he was not very good in the Timberwolves series. DB well, he didn't plus play 17. very much. He didn't play very much, to be fair. And I, hey, and I lied to y'all. So, I said Brandon Clark was the leader. The leader, which is where I wanted to start first, Desmond Bain is plus 71 in seven games. But, man, I felt like Desmond Bain wasn't even in game He one. got hurt. His back, they said he was spasming. So there was a guy, the, the beat writer was on today, um, Drew Hill, was talking about it today, that he was actually getting treatment on the sidelines and came in. So that's why he wasn't as active as he normally is. Was it, but they, was it because Gary Payton dunked all over his ass? and It could have been. <laughs> hey, but after he gets dunked on, what's he go down and do? Drills yeah, a three. He, he does, but, man, hey, when Gary Payton did it in real time, you know how it is when you're rooting for a team and somebody gets dunked on, you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> so db i think to back to you or how what's the consensus for me i think it's it's one game you kind of come back there's no it's not a must win in game two because they're not getting eliminated if they lose it but it, you gotta win it because it is absolutely imperative you can't go back to san francisco down oh two they got to find a way to win i think you shorten your lineup a little bit you got triple j's got to be that guy that he was uh sunday right he's got to stay out of foul trouble most importantly stay on the court Triple J, Ja, keep attacking because, look, as good as Jordan Poole was and as good as Gary Payton, they cannot guard him. He said that no. in the game. Yeah, I mean, he – it's probably got to be really, like, in, in your head, you got to be feeling really good when you go against somebody like Pat Beverly and then you turn around and you're like, oh, so this is, this is okay. who's next? I got okay. Gary Payton? Okay. No, no, no problem. Hey. No problem. On a positive note, this is like he calls himself Mr. Do Something. DeAnthony Melton was absent, didn't even play in game six and seven or games five and six. And he was awesome in the Golden State game. I think, you know, we're all, we're all fans of D Melt. But John Conchar, him, don't get off that bench again, son. Yeah, no, him and him and Ty, <laughs> Melton and Tyus, man, um, it, it been huge. I mean, they had every opportunity to win that game down the stretch. So, I mean, to, to get gifted to Miss Free Throws by Clay. Um, you know, it sucks, but you know, we were messaging in real time when you get a miss three by Clay and a miss three by Steph to give them another open look. You dodged two bullets, man. You you ain't gonna dodge a third one. 
DB, I, I, no, actually, this is for you, Jim. We, we, we've all been watching the Grizzlies all year long. Obviously, Zaire Williams has been hurt with his knee, but his energy and his ability to hit threes, to me, you take Conchar out for God, please take him out, and you put some of those minutes to Zaire, I think maybe you win that game by six to eight to ten points because he gives you a good solid 10, 15 minutes. Absolutely, yeah. but one of the things we've always talked about is with the war of attrition, man, uh, in the NBA, any sport really, but especially the NBA, uh, shoulda, coulda, wouldas, man, we can't can't hang your head on that in the game. Still could have still could have been one. I could also flip it on you because I was making fun of Brooks a minute ago. If Brooks takes seven less threes, they might win too. <laughs> but, but DB, back to your point about did the, that. What's the consensus here? How often are you going to hit more threes than the Golden State Warriors? Probably not very, right? Right. No. How often is Golden State going to shoot 65% from the free throw line? Probably not, not very often. So you really they, – they shot 36% from three, which is about their average, but they only hit 14. The Grizzlies at 16. 13 of 20 from the free throw line. The Grizzlies were 18 of 24, so they were 75%. Golden State out-rebounded you without well, Draymond. What was the turnover battle? Because I know Memphis had some careless turnovers in there. There was a lot. So Golden State had uh, 19 – no, 14. Oh, Golden State had 17. Memphis had 14. Really? So they won the turnover battle too. Okay. <laughs> let me. So let me you ask won this, every Brent. battle and lost, except for the rebounding battle. You lost that one, but just that's you can't. That can't happen again. Does does Stephen Adams not being able to play make a difference right now? Hell yeah, and he'll be back in game three, and it'll make a huge difference because he. There ain't nobody on that team that can rebound with him. Nobody, even Draymond. You ain't rebounding with Stephen Adams. So let's let's talk a little bit about the Celtics and, and, and the East. Obviously, Jimmy Jimmy Buckets and the Heat take care of business tonight. Um, obviously, I mean, I, I don't know. Are you are you feeling any any sympathy to Philly and, and what's going on? Or are you just like, eh, whatever? No. Jim just talked about it. Attrition. It is what it is. And number one, they deserve it. Why the fuck is he in the game up 29? All right. I'm not saying Joel Embiid Doc, deserves to have his face broken. No, but Doc, <laughs> Doc was like he he stood by that decision and said he should have been in the game regardless. Which Doc Rivers is an idiot, dude. I remember. I remember agree, being agree or disagree. I mean, I I don't personally. Hey, Randy, I remember being at the Memphis Lakers game when they were up thirty and them boys were still in with five minutes left and the whole crowd yelling, "Get Jaw the f out of the game!" Like, what are you True. doing? You can't you can't risk it, especially you're that was a game, a series clinching win up 30, and you have the second in MVP voting, your franchise player taking an elbow that means absolutely nothing. And it well, obviously it means everything, really. Yeah. I mean, think about it, but um, <coughs> you know, we've said this, or I've said this many a time, you're the champ until somebody beats you, and obviously. The Bucks are, are are proving that right now. I thought, you know, those guys really look look good. They look really good in game one against the Celtics. Um, obviously, you know, Boston, you know, has been playing well and they're, you know, were poised to do something, but I mean, are they just running into a, a better team or a team that's just I'm, figuring out, you know, now's the time to turn it on? I mean, so the consensus was Middleton was out, so the Celtics had the edge. And then if you if you go through and watch that highlight reel, um, 
Giannis was, you know, the best player on the planet in every way, shape, or form. We're not just talking about scoring. We're talking about the way he was, you know, dishing the ball out, the way he was defending. Um, it was almost like that was bulletin board material, and he took that personally. Like, okay, uh, we're not going to win without Chris Milton. Let me show you that I'm I'm the best player in the NBA um, because he completely controlled that game. He had his team um, ready. They played such a, a sound defensive game. I don't know what it looks like going towards game two, but I know for at least game one, um, it continued to show exactly what you said. You're the best until you're beaten. And he's the best player until proven otherwise. And that's exactly what it looked like. Yeah. I um, I think the Celtics have got a, a really tough road ahead of them. Um, the Bucks are only going to get better. Here comes, this, here comes the Celtics. Hey, here we go. Bruh. Let's talk about it. You, you know, you mentioned about defensively. Giannis offensively did not even play a good game. He was nine of 25, didn't hit a three, but he had 10, he had 13 rebounds and 12 assists. He was plus 23. He still had five turnovers. So it's not like offensively he played well. Defensively, that front court or the front court of Brooke Lopez and Giannis, good luck. Good luck. Then boys, Jalen, I love, I love me some Brown, but him and Grant Williams, who I love even more and Tatum, all those dudes are long and athletic. It don't matter. You ain't jumping over them cats. Defensive and plus you got Drew Holiday, who's just a better version of Marcus Smart. I don't care what anybody says. Marcus Smart winning Defensive Player of the Year is a joke. That's ridiculous. They want to talk about Marcus Saul getting a fake award. That's a fake award. <laughs> but back to it, <laughs> the Celtics are getting they they aren't going to win a game. They getting swept. This is too Whoa. physically the physicality. I saw Giannis throw down Jason Tatum like he was a toothpick, bro. I'm still taking the Celtics in the series. You watch them now. The Celtics, no. they're, they're not, they're not, they're not good. They're not, they're, they don't have the gump. When they get down, they just quit. All right. Yeah, well, it, you'll come back on here and apologize to me eventually. Bucks, Bucks in five. Watch. I, I'm going. Um, all right, I'll go Bucks in five. That's fine. They might get, they might get one. But okay, DB, they play tomorrow night. If the Bucks win that game. You're telling me that Boston's going to go win a game? It's over. It's over. It's a wrap. Be a heavyweight fighter. Standing eight count. So Devin Booker's back. Um, Phoenix uh, is is up at halftime right now in game one. Um, Jim, do the do the Mavs have a chance, or is it just a matter of of when the the Suns hit hit the next four games? Doesn't it feel like? as long as Lucas on the other side and he's playing and healthy, they always have a chance. I mean, honestly, that dude has that much of an impact on the game. I feel like the Suns have been, well, I mean, the record says they've been easily the best team all year. Um, and they should win this game and they should win this series. No problem. But I don't know, man, it's like, like I said, as, as long as Luke is healthy and playing on the other side, I, I believe they can give a fighting uh, puncher's chance. Very true. Randy, what do you think? No. I think the Mavs are better without Luca. Moving on. Look you at this. Look, you just know why you meant that. Look, look. All right. I hear oh, what you're saying. Luca is a awesome player. Okay. The Grizzlies all, also the Grizzlies also won a shit ton of games without John and didn't lose very many. Yeah, but so they're better the, without John. Look at the numbers. Let's just look at the numbers. I'm not talking about the record. Look at the numbers. The the map look what the Mavericks did in these playoffs when Luca wasn't playing. These playoffs, not regular season, not playing garbage teams. 
I'm hitting stop on the recording of this show. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I don't really mean they're better without them, but I don't think the Mavericks. When I, you know how I feel about high usage players, I think Luca holding the ball is that is not what's going to help the Mavericks win. Right now, he's got almost thirty points and a half, and they're down fucking fifteen. That you're not going to win a championship, and you're not beating the Suns like that for sure. Because you know why they got good all of a sudden. Devin Booker was scoring thirty five, forty a game, and they were winning eighteen games a year. He got CP three. The ball moves around. You get a lot more passes, a lot more assists. All of a sudden, they so got the best record so in the league. A way to bring up my favorite player in a random episode. You're equating the the Luca to what happens with Russell Westbrook. Oh, well, no, Luca's a lot better than that. I'm not saying that's that. not I'm that's saying, not even what I said. I said you're the, the I, yes, the rate ball scoring points. Yes, you'll never win a championship like that. Mm-hmm. The Warriors at their very peak. What were they doing? And watch your mouth about who's better. Don't even well, get me Luca is. You know that. You just said it. He's, he got a chance with every game. But look, Jalen <laughs> Brunson was awesome when when Luca was out tonight. Eleven minutes, one for six. He can't. I mean, he he made one layup. He can't even get touches. He can't even get touches. They said, just just sit on the bench and watch. Here, you want to touch something? Touch this clipboard. <laughs> yeah, draw me up a play. Yeah. Oh, here's the play, Luca. You got the ball. <laughs> just do something. Oh, re- hey, back to that real quick. I know all y'all watch this, and y'all watch a lot of Grizzlies games as well as I have. Do we ever run any other play besides the high screen bounce pass to Jaw running at the rim? No. No. And I thought and I thought you were right when you messaged in real time. I thought the play shouldn't go to Jaw. I thought a Bane play would be good. I actually and it wasn't even just ba- you wrote Bane, but I thought hey. because they were going to look for Jaw to get it, I thought somebody else, period. You know who was wide open in the corner? Dylan Brooks, baby. That's probably the of shot that he drills. <laughs> well, well, hey. there was there was a he, I, I had wrote y'all uh, a couple possessions before when he took one on three and got the ball stolen from him. Jaw did. Dylan Brooks was standing at the top of the key all by himself, and I know he hadn't shot very well, but he knocked down a couple threes. Anyway, I just know I like my odds better of the wide open guy at the three point line than one on three. I don't disagree because Jaw does not get the calls that like. Kobe or LeBron or D way he just doesn't get those calls and it's because he's going in like reckless abandon every time he's so herky-jerky with his movements I think it's harder for them to see that the contact is what's making that happen than it is like because he flies around even when he doesn't get touched he still ends up behind the backboard I feel like he runs he he's off the court so much where he's adding more like steps than what he should like like a third of his steps are him getting back on the court i agree yeah, hey I, i'll tell you a jaw thing and bring back up russ that you'll love and this isn't a comparison thing randy this is a compliment you know they always talked about harden and westbrook's ability to finish with their left hand right well they're both actually left-handed jaw finishes all the time with his left hand and is not left-handed and he makes it look easy. You know who's even better that's on the Grizzlies that finish him with their left hand that's not left-handed is Jaron Jackson Jr. <laughs> I've never seen somebody finish with their left hand. Did that you, hook shot. Did you hear Van Gundy talk about it, saying he, he thinks he's better going to his left? Oh, you know what? I did hear that. Yeah, I did hear that. And he's right. Van Gundy, it's about time he got something right. <laughs> Mark Jackson, right. I think he's on Valium. I'm just going to put that out there. Yeah, he, he's definitely – he's not my favorite. Let's put it that way. I'd rather have Reggie Miller. 
<laughs> I, want, I want Doris Burke all day, every day. She's good. She's good. Okay. Go ahead, Doris. All right, all right, guys. Let's let's go ahead. Let's. We got a couple things before we wrap this thing up. Uh, NFL draft. I'll start with you, Jim. Obviously, winners, losers. You could talk about your team. You can talk about other teams. I don't care. What do you, what, what was your feelings and what was your thoughts? You know, after the draft has come and gone. Um, just just the shocker that everyone talked about. Um, only one quarterback going in the first round. Um, the reason that was significant to me is you know. Um, when the Saints were a possibly a team that might take a quarterback with their, you know, 19th pick, um, you know, the idea that all the quarterbacks are still on the board and they didn't take a uh, quarterback with their 19th pick, um, I was really shocked by – I mean, we, we haven't seen that. When was the last time you saw that? And usually there's only maybe a couple quarterbacks supposed to come off the board early, and then there ends up being five in the top ten. And so, uh, you know – it really shows about this quarterback draft class and it shows that everybody put in value at position, but um, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about the saints. They went and addressed the wide receiver situation. They went and replaced Armstead at the offensive tackle situation. Um, you know, I thought the saints were going to completely tear this thing down instead, you know, restructuring contracts, re-signing Winston, going and getting a receiver, going and getting a protection. Then you go get the honey badger today. Um, so I couldn't be more impressed. Obviously the lions are a big talk, but when you got that many picks, um, you know, how can you not have a good draft, right? You you know who's got pressure on him now? Jared Goff. <laughs> if, if he doesn't do something with those dudes, like go on he ahead. Probably, Jared. He probably won't. I mean, that division, yeah. that division, you know, if Aaron I did I didn't see did Green Bay get a receiver? Because if not, um they mm-hmm. did. As I say, because if not, Green Bay doesn't have an offense, and I mean you know, the rest of the teams, the Bears and Vikings are mediocre at best. The Lions, I mean, it's not like it. there isn't a possibility. True. I'm gonna tell you uh, what I, let me tell you what pick I like the best, EB. I like the Pittsburgh Steelers taking Kenny Pickett. I think it's a great pick for them. You know, I, I actually thought you were going to say Calvin Austin. <laughs> no, I, well, that's the, the Steelers' only draft University of Memphis players, I think. They got like four or five guys there, but I think Pickett could be – I think that's going to be their dude, man. That's going to be their guy. He's a lot like a, a – I don't know if he's as hyped as Ben Roethlisberger was coming out of, out of college, but, like, I could see him falling into that role where he's just a really good player but not, like, not the top echelon of players but does enough to win games and, and yeah. you know, I'll, get, get I'll, your I mean, did either of y'all think that the Steelers – I mean, do you think that they thought – in a million years at the 20th pick that there was going to be the number one quarterback on the board there. No way. Probably not. But I think that Mel Kuyper kept saying it. There was no, he didn't think there was a first round quarterback in this draft. So, I mean, everybody was kind of saying it. Look, I'm going to talk about my hated rival, the Tennessee Titans. I don't care what anybody says. They're trying to talk me into this on getting rid of AJ Brown was the right move. No, nah, bro. not at all. That, that's the dude, man. You don't get rid of AJ Brown. I don't care. He wanted 60 million, 80 million, 100 million. You got a trash ass quarterback, and AJ Brown made him look better. It, it wasn't as problem, bad. It but, wasn't as bad as the Hopkins move, but it, man, the AFC South is notorious for offloading uh, amazing wide receivers for for not much. Yeah, but but they're basically saying that Traylon Burks is going to be able to move in and be a contributor right away. Which yes. I mean, I, I I don't I don't know, but. They did it for money reasons. And then I don't 
I do not feel. And then they drafted a quarterback for like the next dude. They act like Tannehill is Brett Favre or something. He's not forty. He's just garbage, and they know it. And they're telling everybody he's garbage by drafting Malik Willis. Willis what's his like Willis? Willis. Randy Randy said the Colts didn't have a first round pick, so he didn't care. And then meanwhile, he the Colts had like the best draft day because the South managed to find a way to mess it, it imploded. Up. <laughs> hey, and the Colts, no matter what publication you read, the Colts only got like a C, maybe a B minus. The Colts addressed needs. They got offensive tackles. They got receivers. I think that they did well. I don't think they drafted flashy, but I think if you look back at what the Colts front office has done over the past 10 years, this is what they do. I mean, they don't – they build through the draft, and it's served them pretty well other than the quarterback. But now yeah. we got Matty Ice. Everything. Yeah, and I mean, y'all didn't – I mean, y'all didn't – and like you said, you addressed needs, and you didn't have too many needs. So, and with what you – what picks you did have, um, I mean, I agree with you. I think the Colts did well. Daniel, my question for you is I know – you know, it's not a flashy pick, but I know you're big on protecting your quarterback. So I assume you're happy with the offensive lineman being taken in the first round. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we needed one. I mean, every hole that we needed, we drafted the first three picks were holes where we've lost guys, offensive tackle, defensive end, and a wide receiver. So, I mean, you know, you're, you're giving up your guys to bring in younger talent, which, uh, okay. They're younger, but, there's still enough core there where I feel like really it just comes down to the guys that are there producing like that. You know, I, I don't think uh, offensive tackle from Tulsa is going to be the, the greatest player on earth, but he's going to be serviceable. They obviously saw something. He's going to be able to fill a gap, um, you know, but we addressed those three needs, but then we also addressed the defensive side of the football too on the back half of the draft. So we got an LSU guy, Damon Clark. Very Speaking solid. of college, man, shout out to the Tennessee Vols for getting back in the NFL draft mix. They had five, yeah, five people drafted, 10 more signed as free. Another agents. one to the Saints because we love All Tennessee. of them to the Saints. Dude, t- right. the, the Saints love Tennessee and Ohio State, man. We got a hard on for them. I Before we move on, I got to tell you all a funny story. So they had obviously – in, in Tampa Bay, they had a big, like, draft party at the stadium and, like, you know, this big blowout, and they put the draft on. Everybody's all pumped up, and, like, there's a video that's out there of everybody, you know, getting ready for the, the first-round pick, and obviously we had one of the, the last picks in the first round, and then we traded it. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Hey, but hey. That guy, they're ta- the, the guard, the tackle they got, Luke, I can't even pronounce Godricky or whatever. That dude's a stud. Yeah. I mean, they we we got Ali Marpet that's leaving, so we needed offensive line help. So hey, before hey, before we move on, and, and since we were talking about college, guys going, Randy, do you know? Look, I should never wish anything negative upon a person. It's not an injury. Um, might be worse than an injury. Um, you know, Elias Ricks, the number one corner, he left LSU and he went to Bama. Which pick anywhere else but Bama. My man got arrested with about four different charges this weekend. Karma is a bitch. Guess uh guess he's he's done, right? <laughs> yeah. So let's uh before we get out of here, let's talk MLB. Obviously, uh hot start. Um I don't know if our, our St. Louis Cardinals fall into that hot start category, but 
Um, obviously, baseball's back. We're, you know, into the season. You know, I'll get with you, Jim. What are your thoughts? Um, are you even excited about it? Or have you had a chance to even follow anybody? Or is it kind of college baseball right now? And then once, you know, July hits, then you can start focusing on M- MLB. I mean, it's been more college baseball driven, but I've watched a few Cardinals games. And, you know, like you said, it's not maybe the hot start, but they're only a game and a half out. In the central, I mean, you're four games above 500, so you're not playing terrible ball. Um, you know, from a, from a highlight standpoint, there's been a lot of fun stuff, whether you're talking about Arenado bombs or Yachty stealing bases, you know, at almost 40. Uh, you know, the, the Cardinals have been very entertaining. I, I will say the depressing thing is, you know, and, and this happens, you know, after you win a World Series and you let guys go and make a bunch of different changes. Uh, yeah, they got uh, – Atlanta got Acuna back. Um, for his first game today, but Atlanta being under 500 and um, damn near the bottom of their division, um, it's a little disappointing. Obviously, we're not Braves fans, but we'd like to see Austin do well, Um, care much more about the Cardinals, but uh, I didn't expect them to come out looking um, this rough, but I I am pleased with the Cardinals with where they're at right now. Obviously, we would like a little bit better, but um, not bad. Randy. I set the damn table for this dude to talk about the one team he is in love with that he could actually talk about and have a reason to talk. The about angels it. are 15. The angels are 15 and nine. I'm not jinxing them. I'm not jinxing them. I'm not doing it. I don't even want to talk. I don't even want to talk. Long season. But, but, but I know, I, I know he wants me to talk about the angels. I'm not going to talk about it because to, to Randy's point about long season, I've seen so many people already talking about this is their year. And it's like, damn, you know, and then we're 24 games now, but this is like a couple of days ago. It was like 22 games in, and I'm like, man, like, <laughs> we ain't even man. like an eighth away. I've, I think I've said that a lot to a lot of baseball fans. I've said that to a few Mets fans. It's a long season. The Mets, the Mets look good now, but they're probably going to do what the Mets do. Um, you know, Rays fans are like, well, we're – we're not playing as good as we should, this and that, but it's a long season. The Rays are, are notorious for slow starts, and then they pick it up, and then they get hot. My, my I think the Braves, for, the Braves too. They started horribly last year. They, they did. They, they were they were under five hundred for the whole first half. Let me ask you guys a question. Um, the biggest topic that I've seen so far in the first part of this season um, goes to the Kershaw getting pulled after seven innings of perfect. Um, because we weren't talking about baseball at the time, even though that was a few weeks ago. Um, what, are, what, Randy? What are your thoughts on that? I, I'm not a pitcher. I don't even really like pitchers, but that's some bullshit. <laughs> you, look, if it's a no hitter, maybe he's already perfect, got one. That a you, perfect game though. Bro. I mean, they talked about it. He's got a no hitter, but he's all, there's only 23 perfect games in history, and he ain't one of them. I mean, the guy really has it all, though. I mean, you know, you're, you're, he's got a World Series, got an MVP. Then he, he sets the Dodgers record the other day. He got his wife and his kids in the stands crying. I mean, look, man, he's got it going on. He didn't need a perfect game to add to it. But think about it. You add the perfect game to it, what else you got left to do? He might be, even though I'm not a big Kershaw guy, I mean, he really might be one of the top five pitchers of all time. Daniel, if you, you were a pitcher, if the coach – or the manager's telling you that he's pulling you from the game. How you how you responding, bro? Good luck. <laughs> good, good luck. 
<laughs> I, 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 you got to drag me from the mound, huh? I, I would still go out there. There'd be two <laughs> two pitchers standing on that mound. No, I, 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 I understand like the reasoning, but it's like, all right, well, what, 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 what more do you got to play for? Like, if not that, then what? Like. I get it. Like you're paying the guy big, big time dollars and you know, he's had stents of injuries in the past and, and issues and I get all that, but, but DB, I, I mean, I think everybody here, we all appreciate analytics, right? But are we, I mean, are we analyzing it to death with the pitch yeah. counts and all that? I mean, come on. Let me, let me take you back to, uh, uh, the world series a couple of years ago when <laughs> Kevin, Kevin cash wanted to, out analytic uh the the visual representation of of what snell was doing out there um yeah uh we hey, definitely th this kind of goes back to college baseball but let me ask you daniel on the analytics part mississippi state will shift um with two outs um and a left-handed hitter and move cameron over to second and i've watched it in person three times now it started with the Zane Denton we talked about. I've watched three different teams with two outs lay down a bunt and get a single. At what point do you stop shifting? When the little paper book tells you to? Yeah, when yeah, when the when it, they do it enough to reverse the stats to tell you to do something different. I mean, it's really what it comes down to. Like Billy mm -hmm. Bean ruined baseball. <laughs> but he made a great movie. Yeah, I mean, if if you're if you are, I mean, obviously in pro ball, that's going to change next year. I mean, the shifts are, are not going to be a thing. But um, in college baseball, I mean, you, you do it because it does work. And, you know, pro hitters have a little bit different tendencies. They are, are they can typically make different adjustments um, a little bit easier than college guys. College guys are, are, are trying to figure that out. But if you can bunt your way on, to a base hit that's the way to go man mm -hmm. drop it down trot down the line say thank you i think that's what's most impressive and no and all three of those bunts i mean they laid them down perfect to where it was just right down third baseline slow slow roller just cruise the first so i mean i mean shout out to them for having a, a solid bunt game right Jim, well, I have a question. go ahead db i was just gonna say like and that's the the scouting where you know You've talked to the to the coach about how they're going to play you and what you're going to do if they do shift. Mm -hmm. If the opportunity presents itself, then bunt, do it, get on. And so the whole week, what do you think they're doing in BP? Practicing they're swinging, they're swinging the stick, but they're also laying bunts down. So there you go. Have you ever? Baseball is such a weird sport when it comes to these unwritten rules. We I saw a guy last week who was playing at home, the, uh, the opposing pitcher has a no-hitter going. A guy lays down a bunt to break up the no-hitter. It ends up going foul, but his home crowd booed him. Jim, wh wh where are we at here? It's your home fucking crowd, man. What, what, what are they doing? I mean, I wouldn't be mad about it. Hey, if it ruins a no-hitter and gets you on base, it goes to what Daniel just said. If you can do it successfully and get on base – Hell, when there's not a shift, we, there's guys that lay down perfect bunts and get on base. I mean, hey, if it's in your arsenal, whatever gets you on base. Bro, let me, I'm, I'm let breaking me up a no-no. 
Well, let me ask you this. If you're a fan and you're going, let's say you're going to a Cardinals game and they're playing whatever, it, let's not put a team to it because then we'll have a little bit of bias, but any teams out there and their pitchers throwing a perfect game, do you want to see them throw a perfect game just because of the nostalgia to say I was there and like that's some that's an impressive feat? No. Not at all. I and, hear where you're going. It's historical, but I don't want to see it. And I'll tell you this, Randy, to speak to one of your Tennessee players, even though we're talking about pro baseball, um, Drew Gilbert has has educated us this year with his approach and, and his batting average and the way he said, yeah, the dude can hit Titanic bombs, but he said that's not the, key, the concern anymore. It's to get hits and get on base, and he's doing it and doing it efficiently. And the same thing goes with the bun or anything else, man. You know, we kind of fall in love in today's game with the home run and everything else. But, man, the, the key in baseball has always been the same thing since the day it was created. It's get on base, and you get on base however you get on base. And that's right. Right. So, Jim, before we get out of here, anything else? No, I'll just end with this on the baseball note and, uh, and call tonight. The Reds are 3-19, and 19 and that's funny as hell. Mm, mm. <laughs> Ain't that a shame. Randy, what you got? Uh, this past weekend, my oldest daughter, Lila, talk about her a lot. This has nothing to do with softball, though. She is an honors course, and they went to a state – or no, like a countrywide competition. Schools from all over the land in Branson, Missouri, the most boring city in the world. <laughs> and uh, they go up there. They're competing against high schools, other middle schools, and this is like the best of the best, right? And not only did they win uh, – they got a superior, whatever that means. That means they were really good. Uh, they won best overall and best spirit award. So they cleaned house. First time the Arlington Middle has ever done that. And this Shout is his first year in honors course. I'm not saying it was her, but I'm saying it was her. Go uh, ahead, Lila. Okay. Get man, it. And one it. of our kids got to do it. The other one, season is over, man. Over. Doctor confirmed it today. So. Yeah, man. That's no no good on that old T-Rex, but she, she'll be back no, stronger than my, my wife has actually salted the wound with the nickname, bro, and I think it's funny as shit, and she hates it, and Taylor hates it, but I think y'all both will laugh when you hear it. She calls her T-Bone now. <laughs> man, that you is know, terrible. It, it sucks. Anytime you got to, you know, put, put the games and even the season on, on a hiatus or a hold, um, but I think Jim, it based on when you were describing it to us at first, I think it it ended up being a lot better than it could have been. Yeah, man. When you hear when you when you hear her come back and say it popped, and then she can't put any weight or walk on it. Yeah, um, I w- I was definitely scared of a, a possible fracture. So yeah, and um, you know, you, you missed the end of the season. I think I think guys, I, I've talked to you enough through text talking about her lessons with Grace, talking about her coach at Lobos. Um, I think the only reason I think I'm really hurt by this is because she was making such strides of progression. So now she's got to take a step back. But Daniel, you've told me this a million times over um, in regards to when I've talked to you about my kids, um, you know, and Randy, I'm sure you'll agree with this 120%. Um, This is where you find out who you are, right? How hard are you going to work to come back and try to be who you were and even be better than who you were? Absolutely. The fuel, baby. Let it, let it be the, the fuel that carries her on to the, the next tier of competition. So guys, let's, uh, let's wrap this thing up. Let's get out of here. Another great episode. I want to thank Brady Tiger, 
Chris Lanzelli for joining us. If you like their story or you just like hearing us average Joes talk X's and O's, please like and share the podcast on Facebook. Retweet us on Twitter. Listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. As always, comments, ratings, feedback is always welcome. We'll see everybody back next week for episode 17, where we're coming to my hood, Jim, the University of Tampa baseball. We're going to be talking to their stud, Braden Forsythe. This has been the In Off the Bench podcast. As always, remember, strong body, sharp minds, great and grind all the time. We're out.